0: Hello and welcome to the Discuss Podcast. We're back again with a brand new episode. And on today's episode, we've got a very special guest with us. We've got Kyle Marriott. Kyle Marriott is a long-standing audio engineer. He's also studied audio on a master's level. And he has a lot of knowledge and has had years and years of experience in some of the top sound environments across the world. Would you say, Kyle? Kyle?
1: Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of funny sometimes thinking about that because we, are, we, like most people, we start in pretty much nothing, scrabbling in the dirt of illegal parties or whatever. So yeah, it's kind of funny to sort of phrase it in that way. But yeah, I've been very privileged to work in some of these really different and you know, all levels of environment where, where sound's propagated, basically. You could say it's an accidental passion. It wasn't what I intended to do. But yeah, it's ended up going down that route. So I'm pretty blessed with some of those experiences.
0: Yeah, so when you said about illegal parties and that with the beginning and maybe just give us like a brief understanding about your origins of where your passion for sound system kind of was born and where it came from
1: yeah so i mean honestly i just say something like this not that long ago and it's like i didn't realize how far back it kind of maybe went but i was on my own a lot as a kid my mom had to work a lot single single parent kind of vibe and yeah i, I she had a massive record collection of just all sorts of stuff and i would end up taking the gear apart because I'm a no-divergent person and I couldn't really figure out at that time where the noise came from in like a TV or whatever or speaker So I ended up taking it apart. And I didn't really make that connection since I was a kid. It was just like a thing I did. But then when I moved to sort of London ways and I uh, that when I was far too young to go out, I ended up going out to illegal parties in the central London area, like classics like your Stinky Pinks and your Spiral Tribes and all that like Hecate and so on. Um, and I just got blown away by that sense of experience because it was a scale and intensity. When I moved up north, I fell in with a crowd in Manchester that basically did parties around there. And it kind of escalated. No one else was really that bothered about or took a massive interest in how the stuff worked. I mean, when I say in the dirt, we had an amp rack where what, two of the amps didn't have lids on. So if you're trying to plug speaks in the dark, wait with other police around, not like, hammering at the door, you've got to be careful not to electrocute yourself. and. We had bits of mishmash old gear. It was good, but like in the hindsight, it was, it was pretty good for its time. But it was big borrowed, stolen kind of vibe. It was just something to do. It was just fun. But no one was interested in making it sound better. Like we just had some numbers that we someone told us, and I, I liked to fiddle and mm. got interested, and it kind of just spiraled from there. As you saw, anyone who's involved or ever done those kind of parties is aware, they are not legit. So you kind of had to do some sneaky things to avoid getting done. So yeah. We had a d- couple of different set- setups. We used to rotate. Yeah. Didn't we ever put a banner out hardly ever or anything? No, we, did, we were like underground. We didn't do the internet thing really until very late. And then like, even then we were pretty much finished. But yes, yeah, so we had to like make different bits of gear work together. We weren't buying a prepackaged thing or whatever. So it just became a bit of a labor of love in that way. Right. And then it just ended up with people wanting to book us. Can we put your rig was really good at that party? Can I put you in on my party or whatever? We started doing club nights and it kind of just went from them. And just the timing was was good to retire disgracefully. Some <laughs> might say because things were getting kind of, yeah, they were great. In, in, in hindsight, that time with my life was, was chaotic and loads of fun, but it was getting out of control. This is the mid-2000s, late-2000s. And there were a lot of kids who were definitely disenfranchised, couldn't go out. Club yeah. culture was really poor at that time. Yes, you had greats like Sankey's, but there was nowhere for us to go and listen to drum and bass or like bass music or, or, or mix the hippies with the punks. We used to put bands on at our festival, our parties with, with the, uh, another crew, GSS, Gash. And like, that That was the thing. No one did what we wanted to do, so we did it ourselves. And it got a name for ourselves, but it was getting big. And when you start realizing the guy in your local corner shops knows that you're the person who put that party on the weekend in like a warehouse out of the middle of the, the city. Oh, you'll do those parties at the weekend. You're not really anonymous underground anymore at that point. You're just lucky to be getting away with it. So yeah, yeah. We, we, we we quit from there. And but like I say, it came up from that thing. It's just falling into it and giving a crap. I've been very fortunate to really be able to talk to people and ask them the right kind of questions that I've been given a lot of good advice, a lot of terrible advice but mostly had a go at doing it and had a good crew around us willing to take the punt on trying different things but it comes from that love of being interested in what things work how how they work take it apart put it back together again ask a question why is that done the way it is can I look at it can I find a book about it can I ask someone about it it's just nerd crap really same as anything else people are into Um, and getting rewarded for that is a nice way around it being able to do some of these things work with great artists or travel and and keep that experience but it, it comes from wanting to give back into it you can't you can't just take with music i think it's very rare for people in in who who work or around events or sound system culture to feel that they just take seems like even djs performers punters or well, whoever it is they want to get involved they're interested it does have a a calling to most people yeah you know, it's not a, when it's right or when it's very wrong it makes a lasting impact on
0: people i think that's the the key thing with it 100% i think it's as we anyone that stood in front of a sound system it's a very profound experience, in terms of all over body experience, mixed with the communion of it. Often, mm. when there is multiple people sharing that experience, which obviously is a is a powerful tool in any setting, let alone with heavy, powerful vibrations yeah. involved. But like in terms of like the cultural aspect of it, like you've travelled from from what i what I know about your career and what the stories you've told me in, in our conversations. You've talked about all these different places across the world that you've that you've strung up sound systems and set yeah. up, and I guess like some of the what what some of the most interesting places you've kind of done that in would you say
1: um so it's some of these are crazy when I, when I say them I talked to some of my friends recently and are like it's almost like they want to cry bullshit about some of these other yeah so for example. Years ago, I ended up taking a sound system in a shipping container to ship, sending it to Oslo. And then they got driven up from there to an island called in Lofoten, like which is off the top, north coast of Norway in the Arctic Circle. And we did like a party called Midnight Sun, which is incredible, coming back in 2025. And it's mostly side trance, but the sun doesn't set. You're on a tiny island, like where actually uh, so you can walk across this island, it's got a mountain on it that you can like. Cruise up and I was there for two weeks. The sun doesn't go down the whole time. Wow. And like you just straight up the system, and it's like, what? Like, when you're there, you start to like hearing the wind and the, like buffet off the cliffs, and it starts sounding like a droning kind of chant. Like, and this is where people did like you know, ritual sacrifices, and black metal was invented, and all this kind of stuff. And like that bands come from there. Wow. And it's like, you can kind of see where these Viking stories come from, stuff like that. Obviously, very blessed to do the things that they been in the Burning Man in the desert where we drive a. An open top British Leyland tour bus from Ipswich around in the desert with two and a half tons of high end custom PA and video screen hung off the side of it with a giant LED heart that gizzle all pixel mapped and new people climb on it and it's like yeah it's crazy that crazy stuff and then also a lot of stuff in Brazil I've been to Japan their culture is incredible out there I've never met a place with more tinkerers and more variety like the the intersection there between like dub sound system culture and high end hi fi is very overlapped it's really strange it's like a very unique kind of thing for is a stereotype that Japanese people tend to be the best at their one thing and you'll go in a little tiny bar off the side of a road and it'll be like a tin shed like an old reggae shack and it's got like an offensive Jamaican sound system and the guy's there but he's playing with like high-end grand hi fi's and stuff like the front end it's just like strange how much they love it yeah so okay. it is it's, it's universal and that's one of the things that cracks me up about it is like I mean yes music is tribal experience in some ways and it resonates deep with you people and it can be you mentioned before about communion and stuff with it, but actually I think also to me sounds and culture is also as much as staying at home and like having the experience maybe sometimes people miss it now, but of like putting a record on by yourself and just listening to it. And it doesn't have to be on the best speakers. Sometimes actually I've had my most transcendental music experiences on crap speakers. Uh, doesn't mean that yeah. like you know I mean if the music's good enough as long as it's got the message clear. And I think that's one of those things that comes from that. Ancient part of the older school style of like roots culture, blues culture in the UK from like from the Windrush generation and stuff like that is if you listen back to it. There's a lot of nostalgia attached to it, but they weren't good sound systems. They were they were amazing for their time. They they spoke a message, they made people feel something that was different to what was going on in the rock and roll world. But roasting your glasses off, some of that stuff is not like objectively good. But yeah. it doesn't matter. It's still it's of its time. It's, it's an experience. A lot of the root sound systems you go to experience even now, they're not meant to be like an accurate PA. It sounds wrong if they are. It's an instrument. But like you don't go and tell the guitar player in the band that they can't have fuzz, fuzz, fuzzy scuzz noise coming out their pedals or distortions. Like doesn't Sometimes happen. that's people's favourite. Yeah, and that's um, it. And it's a part of having the, the different experience, I think, is that being able to go and have those moments. And It's one of those things we are very, very lucky to have in the UK, I think. Uh, yes, it's, it's available in other countries. I mean, you go to like Brazil and all the rigs you hear are, are tuned for, I mean, the they're insanely loud. I mean, I like it loud, but wow. And they have the they want a particularly sort of tight knocking wood kick drum noise, like a tuk, 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 tuk. that's all they really want. That's what their music's based around, ballet and stuff. So you don't get really intense low end in a lot of their subs mm. but it's in, in Asia it's like a lot more top end tuned I've known people who worked out there and said they have to turn some of the subs almost off because they want they want 10 times more top end it's just the nature of what their culture is it doesn't mean it's wrong it's just interesting to see how that spreads and then also to have as much of that as we do in this little tiny island I think is very very strange there's yes Germany's big in techno and so on and whatever but in the UK we've got a lot of chance to travel a short distance and see a different experience do you know what i'm saying you don't have to go a million miles you don't have to go to japan you don't have to go to norway really i think i think people don't notice that when they're here
0: so you touch on there about the a couple of things and the subjectivity so yeah the subjectivity So yeah of sound system experience and and how things should sound like Mm. you were talking about instruments as a good example like music is essentially a subjective experience, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and you. So one person's good can be another man, another person's crap. And what do you think about it? Is that makes that's a big argument in terms of sound system. I get a lot. Obviously, mm-hmm. anyone that doesn't know what I do, I run a firmly rooted sound system, and I get a lot of people come up to me like, "This sounds really good," or you have long debates with other sound system owners about what sounds best, and or they ask you, for example, I had pe- people mm-hmm. asking you last night at the event we were at. What do you think this speaker sounds good and and it's like you can it's easy to say yes or no, but actually that is essentially a matter of what you think is what, what should a speaker sound like and to like what do you what's your opinion on that kind of like the subjectivity of of sound
1: so the thing is that where this kind of goes into this like science versus magic kind of debate, and the reality is that to have a predictable subjective experience, to be able to shape and tone the flavor how you want it for a given musician or music style or location or whatever, you have to get some baseline of objectivity brought into it. Because if it's unpredictable, you're navel gazing. You end up twiddling knobs, and you might end up somewhere you like, but can you get there again? You move the sound system to a different venue. You have a different act play on it. You can't repeat that take, that flavor, that change. I mean what we've done a lot in the in the last maybe 20 years maybe more so is using a deeper a deeper understanding sometimes going back to just stuff that was written in the 30s and 50s or when sounds was being was first being brought to the world in the way we understand it today and just under, looking at it in a new lens it is the, the understanding of and being able to repeat things while in one sense maybe it's coming towards the homogeneity of like of of the setup it means that you can then predictably shape it because now I know that if okay if the low end will behave a certain way every time in that speaker or in this type of speaker we're following trends and like working to the same goals I can then know that I can bring my valve compression and achieve a sound for that dub act that band or whatever whereas I won't then have to do it so there's a concept in the fundamentalist objectivist people in the in, in the world who are all speakers and amplifiers should be a perfect wire with gain. So whatever you put into it is exactly what comes out. Now, I sit somewhere between these two camps. The subjectivists are, it should be purely experimented upon and it's just a happenstance of trying different bits and pieces and that's the tweak as well. That's your audio files, basically. People like, but well, basically the hobby is spending money and changing things, not right. actually listening to music in most cases, right? Which is all perfectly valid. If you like doing these things, that's fine, own it. I sit somewhere between the two, which is, doing it purely subjective you're just trying stuff at random you're not maybe we are uh human beings we have a lot of fallacies built into us inherently right doesn't mean that' we're wrong it doesn't mean we're lying it's just nature we have an acoustic memory that lasts seconds so once you've listened to something you are only forming memories about that experience you're forming a, telling yourself a story again nothing wrong with that but it's very hard to be purely objective which is why we do things like take measurements and like test things and to, to find that tolerance what is doing and it's the information to look at that then feeds back into your knowledge loop if you don't do one or the other if you don't I mean like yeah. you can't build a speaker or or piece of equipment entirely objectively without listening to it because what's the point no, what, what's going to happen at the ask, end people yeah. are going to listen to it it doesn't matter if all the charts say it's good if it sounds bad But if it sounds good and you have got no data to know why that sounds good, how do you then repeat that for the next person? If you don't understand what paper you put in the cone or what wood you used or what the shape or volume of the box was or even the basics. So I I think it is an important thing to recognise that distinction. But yes, at the end of the day, the final experience is a subjective one and you can't remove that from the equation. And as
0: tempting as it is as engineers to do so. So would you say that there's like a key set of fundamentals that are required and then kind of beyond that, it's kind of left open to the subject of it because you need you need some sort of level of audio reproduction yeah we can't just you can't just be like i've got a set of speakers but they're not plugged into anything and no that's subjective that's music yeah. <laughs> that's, there's obviously a key set of fundamentals and yeah like for people who are, are budding sound enthusiasts from someone like yourself with many years of experience and research behind you what would you say are those like key the key fundamentals to focus on in terms of like audio reproduction
1: it's really funny these days because I get caught maybe we get a lot of flack for saying especially now it goes to memory but it is quite difficult you almost have to actively try these days to get truly terrible sound like the we are so far down the line now people have to understand audio reproduction is a 100 year old industry yeah it's not it's not old it's very young we have done a lot for where we are however the very best speakers we have now don't massively improve on fundamental ideas laid down in the boards of at and the likes of Heaviside and all that, the basic built first horns and stuff in Bell Labs in New York. So, yeah, we are iterating on fundamentally very good and sound ideas because it's electronics, it's electrical theory, right? So, the difference for a lot of people is that he's, he's understanding where the sound is going and what causes the inherent bits of unpleasantness. Now, you can buy a cheap speaker off Amazon and it will be better objectively than most hi-fi speakers were in like the 60s and 70s. Doesn't mean it's going to have the same subjective experience. And part of that comes down to these little speakers that maybe sound quite good when you're up close. They don't have what's called directivity. They're not big enough to direct the sound. They spread it everywhere. Now, that can be desirable. If you want a little speaker in your kitchen to like listen to podcasts while Put you're whoever. room, whatever, yeah. whatever, it'll spray, spray sound everywhere. You walk around, you hear it. That's not what we usually want in sound reproduction because like here in this room, you've got treatment on the walls. Now there's arguments where you've used a narrower speakers speaker that's basically physically larger compared to it. That's the difference between small monitors and big monitors this is the bigger speaker generally points the sound more forward and more frequencies to lower notes, it means it's more predictable, but then it can be a bit cold because we don't listen to speakers music in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, it's true if you were, you, if you if you if you don't have any room experience it's not immersive in a way we don't have you don't feel like you're in the space so not as naturally occurring anyway, yeah. yeah like real real instruments real natural sources like you talking to me now they they have a certain directivity characteristic your mouth has a certain shape and things like that i think what we have now is maybe a better understanding of the health and making me sound more natural and then on the other hand, it's very easy to make things sound very unnatural with huge amounts of processing to brute force that little two-inch cone that's in that Amazon speaker in your front in your kitchen to sound like it's playing frequencies that it struggles to. And it sounds over-processed and forced. Doesn't mean it sounds bad. And this is the difference with things now. I think we're such a, again, controversial maybe for some of the high-end audio engineers out there, but I think we have a very good baseline. And I think people are maybe not as more educated, but they're exposed to better sound than they were. Um. You, you you go people uh, speak to people who went to concerts i mean i went to a lot of concerts in the 90s when i was like young and they were very loud and intense but i tell you objectively now i can hear the vocals better and it might have been as loud but like it's more consistent the, the bits you actually really want to have are are done and that's from a lot of research and application same goes for high-end home hi-fi or speakers in the monitoring world i think we are very privileged to have the experience we have but it's maybe not as fun it's kind of again it's more boring like you don't there's not like so much trial and experimentation everyone's got a bit of a sonos or like of the equivalent or a little like the same kind of thing yeah, like they'll listen to music on your phone it's like, i can't understand by how much how good a modern yeah. phone actually sounds and it's like yeah, there's dude. loads of engineering in that but it's not exciting otherwise that's why we go to these more larger concert experiences or communions we have together around like a big rig or a, a, a night out or like a live concert or possibly even like a choir in a cathedral. You know, these more emotive experiences, the ones we are chasing maybe, even though we're surrounded by much better musical representation of speech representation from even like a TV in many ways than we were in the past. I think we actually actively seek those experiences that are more emotional and deeper and like have a connection attached to them more so these days. And that might be because we are actually almost too surrounded by noise. Quite common topic at the moment, like the background noise of like city life and like TVs mm. on all the time. Your phone's always ringing. We are watching YouTube, all these things, but it's not a nourishing experience. So we almost like need them even more than we used to.
0: Yeah, what's a, what? What do you think about that? What is it then that? You obviously mentioned to me prior. Maybe let the listeners know that what you did a masters mm-hmm. in what was it? You said it was audio, in... engineering, audio uh, engineering, Derby University. Yeah. So during
1: lockdown, I was annoying my business partners quite a bit with impatience and the old ADHD kicking in. But yeah, that course and those was yeah very transformative for me. The guys who run that, John, Bruce, and and Adam like Hill, like they've they You cover all the bases. So we did like software engineering you had to like learn how to code a VST. You did like live sound reproduction, like immersive surround sound and Electronics, it's a very intensive and broad course, and it's, it's great because it's very practically focused. And it's definitely left as well. Yeah. Well,
0: that sounds, yeah, it sounds brilliant. What did you write your dissertation on?
1: So my dissertation, which I sorry my dissertation, which I keep threatening to uh, publish, but I need to need, need to do some minor edits on small typos, uh, end up being quite a sprawling project. You can probably tell by the way I ramble on here, um, but I did it on the history of high efficiency audio, and essentially the fundamental question was why did we move away from using horn loaded loudspeakers more more towards a classic style people might be familiar with which is that you know you see the cone and there's a a hole in the speaker that lets the bass out basically it's very much a simplification and i was wondering why that happened and what the history was because all original early sound was created by these horns and a horn for people who don't know is like a conical kind of shape so that's like narrow at one end wide at the other and it basically directs the sound in a certain place and it contains the waves that are reproduced by the cone at the end so that they are amplified in in one sense they get louder and they don't actually get amplified it's not like an amplifier where it turns the volume up all it does is it fundamentally makes the cone which is basically a bit of paper that flaps match the natural load or impedance of the air in the room better so Without going too technical because i know this might be boring for some people but essentially what we have is a bit of paper that we put a bit of electricity into and it, wa- it like waves it basically physically it's like you waving your hand and asking to ask someone sat across the table from you can you feel the air from my hand it's less efficient than that so it might surprise people to know that my industry this industry we work in on audio is very inefficient most common speakers people listen to waste over 90 percent Maybe that's me being generous, often more than 95 to 99% of the energy you put in comes out as heat, which is undesirable. So we are trying to make sound and we're basically wasting most of the energy we use, whereas a horn loudspeaker can be up to 50% efficient. So we're talking magnitudes upon magnitudes, it's exponentially more efficient. The reality is to sum up the whole research i did which is building models of speakers so i built computer simulations in full 3d using very complex horrible maths then i built physical models at scale and measured them in a a room that has no echoes an anechoic room hemi-anechoic and i built the physical the real product as well and basically measured those so i verified the data all the way along the reality is that building these type of more efficient speakers is hard there are downsides. You need more of them to start with because you need to have the physical size needs to be bigger to achieve the, the results we want. Uh, they need more wood. They need better understanding. They're more complex to build. There's there's more lots of downsides to it. However, when you get it right, you can bring far fewer bits of equipment to do the same job. And that's in terms of output coverage, all the goals we have in sound reproduction, whether it's in a studio or whatever. But as I say, You can put a decent quality cone in a box, make a hole in it and get a pretty good sound out of it. For most people, that's good enough. So the the dissertation was a long, interesting process. I covered a lot of the ancient history of where speakers came
0: from, which is really interesting for me. That was the next question I had for you. I was about to, I'm really, really interested on this podcast as a focus on history, identity and, and the future, which is kind of the theme of which the conversation takes so yeah, I would uh, love to maybe share some of your knowledge about the history of, or the, even the ancient history, or where the origins of
1: some yeah. of that's come from. So it it comes from, well, in hindsight, it's probably a funny incident for anyone who wasn't involved in it. When we first built the, the transatlantic telegraph system, the understanding of how they worked was a little bit more basic, and they hadn't built one quite so big and long, right? So to transmit that signal is an electric pulse down a wire. And there's a guy called Heaviside and he basically was working for AT&T at the time. and He was, a, he was like proposing this idea. They had to have like transformers basically on it, Things that stepped up the current and the, volt, stepped the voltage and reduce the current. And I'm very oversimplifying here because it's complex electronic stuff in ways. But they basically turned this telegraph on, telegraph system on to send a, the first message from America to, to the UK. And, and they tried to send a message and didn't make it through the other side. So they were talking over the radio and whatever. Okay, it hasn't worked. So they turned up the power. Didn't work. So they turned up the power. Oh, here you go. Got a little bit of a sound at the other end. It's noisy though. You can give it some more. Turned it up and turned it up until the whole thing burned. So this the wire that had been taken months of a million, equivalent of billions of dollars today's money to lay, they set fire to it. And then this study came out from what's called transmission line theory. You might have people in speakers might know that, that transmission lines are a common type of, of loudspeaker design. It's called that because the line was used for transmission of telegraph signals. And the fundamentals of how speakers work is is an equivalent circuit of like resistors, capacitors, inductors, and the way they mo- they're modelled. These guys did this transformative work, mostly at what is now AT&T Bell Labs in New York. And it was aimed at theatre reproductions. So they built these big hornloaded speakers. But it's really funny, you look at some of these boxes and they're not they're much different to what you see in a concert today. And they built these drivers, and most of the time it was one type of cone, or it was a compression driver type thing, and like they played five hundred hertz. And they were building these things just pure trying and, and It wasn't even like a viable business model. They were just like real electro electrical nerds in a skunkworks lab in AT&T, well labs at the time with a budget just to dick around basically. And they built some of the most mad stuff. So one of my favorites they built this horn, and it was two these cone these compression things. And when I say cones, they were massive at the time. They're like six seven inches across even by today's sense, it's pretty loud good for electricity yeah. they built this massive cast iron horn thing and i say massive we're talking like i think it's like 30 31 feet across diagonally when they put the two bits together and they stuck it on the top of the bell labs building by crane plugged these bits of wire into it like with these cones on the back and then they'd bear mind they just invented the microphone as well at the same time because they realized that the speaker backwards works like a, a receiver the microphone and they basically sat on the top of this building shouting at people in the Hudson Bay on cruise ships, like boats or whatever, that they've never heard anything like this before. And they thought God oh, was talking to them. Oh, uh, yeah. And they're just pranking people. Like, women were jumping overboard from the ships, freaking out and stuff into the into the water. And they're just, like, falling about laughing. But it came from the theatre world. It came from musicals. And, like, they put it in talkies at the time behind the screens. And the earthquake experience was, like, one of the most... most. So in Vegas, who still makes speakers today and he built a set of these kind of speakers and toured them around and they showed a film about an earthquake happening in Hollywood. And they basically had physical boxes around the room that made the building shake had never been done before. And this is like in the thirties. And this thing, it's mad how close that is to the rise of sound system culture. Like these old boxes, when these cost a lot of money to make and transport and they were developing these things. And they took the, the boxes end up being kind of almost thrown out for scrap. And they made their ways into, like, black communities and stuff. And they shipped them back home to Africa and Jamaica. And that's where this stuff kind of started from. They just, like, hand-me-downs and try and play their message in their music. I mean, I'm massively simplifying here, but it, it comes from, like I say, just a weird desire to, like be heard at a larger scale and to have that shared experience is really the same as it is today when these these things were happening but it cost i mean people think now tell you how running a sound system costs a lot of money it's a big labor of love and that was exactly the same back then these guys were spending a huge amount of money an unsustainable amount of money to build this equipment and then transport it in trucks all around america or whatever and it didn't really make it over here until it was brought by those cultures so it's interesting to see how far behind the UK actually was in many ways. It was very much an American on the other side of the pond that really pushed this stuff early on. England and Europe was great in the worlds of radio. So we made little cones and speakers that did that kind of stuff, but it wasn't on the scales that we're talking here. Yes, it made its way over via magazines. There was always people doing it, but it wasn't as ingrained into the common populace as it did in America quite so quickly. Cinemas were the first place it kind of took hold because they could make their money back. And again, that's the same kind of thing. When some of these cinemas close down because they couldn't afford to be sustainable anymore, where does that gear go? Well, the guys who are stripping the building down for parts probably go oh, off by the back door and it ends up in someone's front room, their blues party. And then the rock and roll guys around that time have gone and heard about these things and they start building their own stuff because they want yeah, to be able to tour and play music louder than
0: the other band in that pub. So you think the transfer of the technology into sort of like a public, hobbyistic sense took place by... Almost by chance, and just by yeah. the uh, seeing the uh, the um, application uses, and then just being like, "Oh, I want to do that for my personal use."
1: Yeah, of. and it, and I think it's one of those things where fundamentally it's not that complex. Like the you can get a sound out of something, it might not be a good sound, but quite easily. There's some great YouTube videos and little home projects people can do with their kids or whatever, or just for themselves, and it's like quite fun to see what you can make, but. I think one thing that this comes back to is that when you have people who mild voice might be quite insular, the nerdier types, the geeks or whatever, who might be interested in electronics and something like that, the desire to communicate and be heard come, is still there. And then that's a point of now where you've got an access or a v- validation to be part of some of these communities of musicians, things that we, 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 we are probably quite emotionally engaging for you as that person. And then yeah, for you, you're suddenly the guy who's building a mixing desk for Led Zeppelin because no one else knows how to do it. And it might be the guy who plays guitar. You might end up picking up the guitar to make a better sound. And then suddenly you're the guitarist in a band. So I think it's one of those great levelers. But it's because it wasn't, it was visible, and audible, like nothing else had been for that time. And people, if you get the right kind of people in front of you, they're like, whoa, well, what's that? And if you weren't even the guy who understood how it works, you'd probably go seeking a guy who had a go. And you start talking to the person who fixed TVs in your area or something about it, and they might build something for you. Like it might not be in you know, a guitar pedal or like, and it just became that bit of competitive friendly competition when you're a band or when you're a party which is where a lot that comes from the music world or even the cinema you want to be better than the other guys you want to be more memorable you want to be louder you want to, and that's that rush of like the 60s through to the 80s i think where it really really took off and then you hit the summer of love type vibes the second summer of love when it's like basically people going out and taking drugs to party instead of like the original summer of love was what it was and then it's like okay now there's a an element of additional layers added to that Sonic and whatever experience, Now there's with other people, and like you go into destination experiences. You're having music. You've you you you're, you're tying a lot of cultural touchstones that've been there for a long time together, but they're all
0: weighted around that shared noise. So, I think the ability to the ability spreading a message is a powerful thing, right? In terms of whether it be you know, the use of the use of spreading a message to a mass audience. Mm has been used by civilizations Mm -hmm. for as long as as long as we anyone knows gatherings and yeah of course and and like the use of having pedestals Mm -hmm. i had a thought about i had a thought A sort of somewhat of a like a i guess you could call it a spiritual epiphany during a a glassman performance and i was stood down i just had this surge of like wait a minute we've of, we've been doing this for a long time. Mm. This isn't just because now it's all technology-based yeah, yeah. in terms of speakers and lights and stages. I, I just had this moment of almost like an ancestral connection where I was like, people have been doing this for, for as long as we've mm-hmm. been alive, coming together and and, and sharing an auditory experience. Yeah. And I thought of these ancient structures which are vast and orchestrating, massive, like almost drumming and singing and it's a big communal mm. environment where you've got someone at the top of a, a structure orchestrating yeah. that yeah that p- performance and then it trickles down and and through that setup of that structure you would be it a pyramid or whatever like a, a peak structure a stage as it were an yeah, old yeah. fashioned stage where they they're orchestrating that that communal experience and it, and it trickles down and you wouldn't be able to do that without that pedestal okay. in, in a practical sense without speakers whereas the use of speakers have enabled us to be on a flat plane yeah and Project this, and create that same the need to have that like a like that communal shared experience that people obviously are drawn to. That's what big part of what music is for people. And know?
1: that's yeah. a very interesting topic and way to look at it because actually when you look back at maybe if you go back into ancient history, when it's like drumming circles and, and so on before. We had more of these structures, which you will see echoed in the loudspeaker design. You go look at a Colosseum or like Amphitheater and it's like, oh, hang on, that shape kind of matches the curved horns on the, on the on the cone and stuff. So this, these things have been done for a long time. You are right. However, I think what is important to highlight is that we went through a period of a large thousands of years, if you go back from pyramids through to like Romans and stuff, or even into, into sort of the 1900s, where the power to put that message out in an amplified setting was very much in the hands of the elite you weren't yeah, building correct. an amphitheater if you were a normal person But you couldn't who, who who ran the churches okay yes okay you've got like vikings and such you had like horns that they blew going into battle but again that was usually given someone who was a senior ranking person like these kind of things were not in the hands of the general common populace whereas in we moved into electronics and amplified sound and again those older pieces of equipment have trickled down because there's a desire in a capital society to constantly be improving and offer something new because it's, it's business driven it has actually had the benefit of democ- benefit and also side effect of democratizing like the communication of these messages now we've gone into extremes of that these days where everyone can start a podcast everyone can run a youtube channel everyone can play a bit of music you a know, speak on your phone However, I think that's a bad thing. Like, yes, there's more noise and things are more saturated, but it really has changed the power dynamics of communication. And there's in, it's interesting to look at how that is kind of preyed upon or pushed back against or or embraced by politicians, governments, companies, corporations, et cetera, with them co-opting messaging and like getting influencers and taking, trying to take charge of public spaces and that kind of stuff or maybe banning putting a a couple of speakers in a field and listening to music with your mates so if there's more than 10 people. These kind of things are very interesting side effects and and sort of areas around the use of sound. But yeah, it is crazy to look back at some of these real ancient things and see how it was. I mean, don't want to dive too much into promoting a particular type of thing, but the speakers we've been using for a long time from the Tom Danley, he basically did a documentary based on the uh, Pyramids of Giza where he dragged an acoustic measuring system which at the time was like 50, 60 kilos of gear inside the Great Period of Giza to like take measurements. And that's how he was inspired to do the speakers that he builds, which people who've seen those might look at and go, hang on, that's an inverted pyramid with holes all over it. And it's by being inspired by the inside of the Great Period of Giza because in the opening chamber when you first go in, apparently if you stand at one end of that and when it's dark, and bear in mind, they probably had that incense and other stuff going on to enhance the spiritual experiences, like you would you can't be heard in certain parts of the room. In other parts of the room, your voice, the person's voice is massively amplified and insanely deep, like physically shaking you deep. And this is just a room that was built out of this granite stone and so on. And it just happened, well happened, it has an incredibly strange acoustic. So you think someone was up on that pedestal wearing like mad gar- robes of gold and they had maybe a dog head... St- helmet on or something whatever it was it was was real or not but you thought they were gods because you go in there you're you're walking into this dark space you've you've been maybe at night time you've maybe been working this is your belief system and this person speaks and it physically vibrates you and there's some theories of egyptology has its own craziness going on but there's some theories about these mega structures from ancient history and how they were used to communicate sound i mean i don't necessarily believe in like acoustic levitation in that sense of being built used to build the pyramids i think humans are much more basic than that and we just use a hell of a lot of slaves but it is really really strange to go back and visit some of these spots like I, you know pilgrimages sometimes i'm my in the past, my ge- my ex girlfriends have put up with a lot when I've dragged them to a, somewhere that I think is acoustically interesting, just to like go and walk around. But yeah, it's strange because they were all in the chart in the hands of people in power. Some of them now are very destroyed, and I think that maybe is because people didn't like that being in the hands of people power. And it's like, where is that message coming from that holds them in power? Let's destroy that thing and take their ability to communicate away. That's much harder these days. You, know, like you can. Put your message out whether your message is good for other people or not you can get a speaker and shout in the street for a microphone you can put on a dance and play your music i think that's a great thing don't necessarily agree with what you're playing or saying
0: yeah no and that's exactly what i was why kind of you're talking about positions of power and i guess what what you're saying is speakers and speaker technology has given the right to that accessibility of that of that power as it were mm-hmm. the ability to kind of spread your message as, as far as your speakers or your methods of which you amplify and your voice be it creative expression music mm-hmm. your actual physical voice your word sound whatever it is it's given that power and put it in the hands of the average person mm-hmm. and kind of taken it out of and, and and i think that's a big part of why people really are drawn to speaker mm-hmm. culture and I, me personally i did it because i would i believe we had a something to offer in terms of a, like a feeling a message a vibe that people benefit from, mm-hmm. and whether it be that the music that that we produce, or just general vibe that is transmitted to the audience mm-hmm. via our speakers, like yeah, the unspoken yeah yeah energy yeah the one that people just you've I often find the the, the purveyor or the perpetrator of a certain creative expression ideally you want the, the audience to feel that message sure. through that expression right and often it's usually the person at the top or i've, I've used festival organizers as an example mm-hmm. sometimes their origins have trickled down into their festival environment yeah so much so that they can't escape it even if they're not they don't mm-hmm. live that life anymore but the the way in which that festival was created or the origins of it or how it was maybe even funded has has led into to those environments being perpetrated yeah. through and it's, and my point is that giving that ability it, people's desire to form an identity for themselves outside of the the wider one that's forced upon you almost is a very powerful thing and gives people a sense of freedom well the thing is as well I think it's it's really
1: kind of for me the voice of the voiceless kind of thing like again I'm a person of white privilege and I have to check myself with this kind of stuff and don't want to speak for the other people here but like, it's very very kind of noticeable how much of the culture of sound and music being pre- reproduction has come from cultures where they maybe were put in really horrible situations now when we look at these ancient c- civilizations yes there was a lot of slavery in use and we still had that going through to many periods of afterwards and that that system of control was was in place when you look at how and i say very much where my field of expertise is more maybe tied to my personal experience is the the rise of 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 sound system culture through blues and Jamaican wind rush generation that kind of sort of situation coming from central london and, and further afield these speakers were not built often with like a deeper understanding of how they worked it was they had no other way to do their thing. They were ostracised. They were removed and segregated from society. So when you're looking at a run-down, smashed old building in, Newton, in Notting Hill, and they're basically running a blues party in there, they're just cutting grandma, holes in grandma's wardrobe and putting whatever they could find mm. that would fit in it. It wasn't about sounding good. Yes, it was loud and powerful, but they were trial and error. Their understanding of science comes more from, like I say, the the further West maybe in American engineering and, and higher-end universities, but it's that meeting of it. It's the fact that those that that opportunity became an integration point, understanding or maybe hearing what they're and understand being shown that, that experience to some of these people meant they wanted to amplify and do it and then maybe they saw elements of that in their own lifestyle. You can't separate rock and roll from blues. You can't celebrate those things are very much inspired by one another. And I think it's, when I say blues, I don't mean to Blue Party, but I mean blues music, music that comes back to chain gang songs and stuff like that. Like, it all comes back in cycle. I think we maybe lose sight of that is what we're doing this for. And it is interesting, but yeah, that doesn't mean anyone else's message is not as valid as those in this time and age. I think it's great that you can buy a set of microphones and run this and do record it and you can play it back and it's available to more people. Um, it does make it harder to find the good stuff. But yeah, the other part of this is that Any sound reproductive experience, whether or not it's in your headphones, whether or not it's in a whatever, is about. It is about a sense of community because I really think, especially over the last 20, 30 years, we really have lost a lot of those community experiences. We don't have neighbors that we talk to anymore. We don't go to community centers. There's nothing for kids to do to hang out together. So they get around in the streets, ride bikes, and listen to grime tunes. And like these situations are just us trying to get back into that. Yeah. You might sit at home and like play video games, but you're probably on voice chat with your friends. It's like, I think we crave these experiences, but maybe don't know how to foster them. And the benefit of building a sound system, whether it's yours in the sound system culture, like kind of party or going to a concert or whatever, is about regaining control of that element of your life that maybe you feel
0: you're losing and is not reflected in your day to day. I think that I think you're correct. And I think that there's a. If anyone that's watched Hyper Normalization or. And you've studied the philosophies of the West and you start to realise that individualism, mm-hmm. and, it, and we talked about this earlier today, but individualism is a a big factor of a good capitalist society mm-hmm. in terms of making sure you look out for yourself and you work hard for yourself. And that, that idea is very productive and conducive to a capitalist society, kind of society and structure. And I think that, as you say, the given a way to tap back into that almost the, the opposite to mm-hmm. fight against that in on an internal level whether it be yeah. consciously or subconsciously even if you're not aware of the concept of individualism as a as a philosophy you, you still have that forced upon you through through the education system yeah. through the through the structures of society so when you experience something like music or amplified music or that kind of experience it it kind of almost removes you from that feeling of individualism, and you're like, and you have that 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 power and that sense of connection, which is mm. what everyone always essentially is striving for. Is nowadays yeah. is connection because it doesn't exist within our societies as much as it, it did when we were evolving human beings and you know, yeah. as a natural occurring species without all the structures of society that have been that have been built around us. You well, know? And, and that's a sort of really interesting part about anthropology.
1: Anthropology and like these. Of previous experiences of like hedonistic culture and like how we we kind of almost seem to seek those behaviors because we aren't when we were maybe based on tribal structures and so on. And you were troubled, you'd go out in the woods and seek a shaman, and they would chant and have like back dr- banging drums and they'll probably blow drugs up your nose or whatever and this kind of stuff. But you'd do that, you come back to the village humbled about it or whatever, and you had your space in your society and your structure there's definitely like analogues of that in what people do for fun whether that's going out drinking in town and singing karaoke or whatever it is watching football and these elements are maybe reflected in that but may in a way of like it's uh, there's a concept people sometimes talk about with like genetic memory where these things we did them so many thousands of years that it's almost like ingrained in your it's nature nurture like type of argument right when you come to other philosophies when you talk about individualism and capitalism I think one thing it's important to highlight to people is that without those structures, we would not have the level of access Ugh. to equipment and so on. we do now and understanding of how to use it. So the, the fundamental here to me is none of these structures of power are f- objectively good in all three way. You know, you could, we could look at, uh, again, I don't like to bring politics in it too much because it sometimes bores people. But as a general rule, I'm a fairly centrist kind of person, uh, maybe a little bit more left-leaning the concept of socialist structures is very important to me, and I think that's what is reflected in the work that I do and in, in my life. But when you look at some of these, we're going to go swings into collectivism. Again, I don't want to dive too much into the philosophies of being, but none of these systems are devoid of a power structure that concentrates power at the top, and that can be communism, whatever you want to call it. Like, and people maybe try, however, the messaging and the control ends up in the hands of a few, and in the world of music as well or sports or wherever we produce sound occurs that still occurs I think one thing that we need to be mindful of is calling that into question as much as possible but without going down the tricky path of, of completely rejecting it because if you put on parties you if there weren't people putting out records or running a, a YouTube channel or hosting a radio show or the bigger name DJs that might play that guy's track that makes them get some known so you can sell your tickets it doesn't we don't have any of it i think it's important to try and flatten inside structures as much as possible and that's work that's ongoing for better and worse my company i i run with my friends neuron av founded many years ago is very much a flat management structure and it can be problematic sometimes but we pride ourselves on the staff that work with us having a say in how the business is run it's one of those things that if you don't have one thing you don't you can't see the other places and again coming back to the use of sound system and speakers and culture and music is like highlighting that i think when you do have someone who's disenfranchised they can again i grew up punk like they can shout about it it's cathartic it's fun to go and kick things around and bounce around with your friends or maybe on your own sometimes you sometimes even now i want to go out to a night and just be on my, i don't tell people i'm going I just go by myself and get in the dark and have a dance like great it's like it is a release of energy it can be social it can be communal but i think having the opportunity to do so is the key thing and that means everyone should have a chance like i don't understand what half the metal bands are saying you don't look at the loads when we do some of these shows with metal bands and they'll, you give me a sheet of logos i have no idea what i'm looking at but just because it's not entirely my cup of tea doesn't mean it shouldn't be something that i really lean into and try and find a, a joy in and make the best of it yeah i mean that's one thing that come back to the thing you raised earlier about objectivist and subjectivist kind of culture cultures or ways of looking at these sound experiences. If I was purely subjective, I just go, I don't like that. It's rubbish. No, I'm not doing it. And there are a lot of engineers or people working in the audio industries that are that way. And that's their choice. However, if you're completely objectivist. You won't understand what it is about that music that makes those people move or enjoy it. So you then how can you do a good job? So yeah you get rock and roll guys who hate doing you everyone's probably seen at a nightclub that guy who sat behind or sat in the corner of the you know, clearly old men's been mixing the show on his phone just scrolling facebook you know i mean not having a good time Well yeah. then yeah, that, that translates in the show right there's no good vibe from front to back from back of house to the performers then it doesn't come out in the rest for the punters, and people probably feel that more than they think however you shouldn't be forced to do things you don't want to do so this is where it's like trying to find the joy in the experience and and I've worked in a lot of different industries. I've worn many hats in the past. I've done web development. I've worked on like internet provision, like network operations, I've done film and TV stuff. The one that I always come back to is something related to sound. There's just something about how the speed of the, the reciprocal nature of, of how fast that feedback loop comes in of like, if you're doing a good job, but if you're yeah. doing a bad job, but if people were talking about it, maybe you don't really, maybe you've done a great job or maybe they just had a bad previous experience. And it's also really interesting how much it lets people like myself who's traditionally a back of house person i'm not that i'm I'm quite prominent in some ways people would say but i'm not traditionally the the, the person out there i don't dj i don't play in a band it's just interesting how much it brings those other elements that will maybe be more quiet and not visible to the forefront and Mm. i really like that to be honest so sorry, nerds who like to hide at home, but like, you know, this is what this is what this stuff does to you. And you'll notice it yourself. You, you'll see someone come out who's really quiet and reserved and shy. They come to a few dances, they walk up to the decks. Oh, loved it tonight, mate. And they make yeah. friends and suddenly they've got mates they go out with. Oh, that's the best thing in the world. Yeah. So that's the one thing I think is really transformative in this world. And it's why I keep coming back to it. Job satisfaction. It's it's late nights, it's long hours. Like it's lots of travel. You're away from your friend, your close loved ones a lot. The money's not always great, but it's just something about it. And it's hard to put into words. It's the most frustrating sure. thing, right? But yeah, I dunno. Maybe it's beyond words something, you Yeah, I, yeah I, I don't know, I, I like to think- Maybe, maybe not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think there's people just maybe, Something should be, just be what they are, right? And I've worked a lot on that myself in, in, like, since COVID time, particularly on like, just accepting things the way they are and not getting frustrated about them. Um, and I think that's kind of reflected in the way maybe I see this kind of stuff these days. Like, it's very easy to be a young, opinionated person. Everyone's met the grumpy sound engineer stereotype, right? I've definitely been that in the past. Yeah. However, yeah, I think when you actually want to understand the why, rather than just the how of this stuff, you can't do one without the other, right? Mm. That's why my dissertation ended up doing was 20,000 words of history before I even started on the tech. Yeah. It's like, because they're intrinsically linked in my mind. And if you don't understand, or if you're not passionate about it, don't do it. Like, and that goes for most things, right? And maybe that comes, maybe there's a nice point to sum up, like, like, topic on is that a large amount of people don't do something they enjoy during the day to day. Maybe they don't hate it, but they work a job. It's yeah. a bit paid. Yeah. And then goals getting paid, yeah. Not, yeah, the goal is to get paid and make sure they really feel comfortable.
0: Enjoyment or fulfillment. And then, yeah.
1: so these opportunities offer them some kind of escapism or difference different experience when you travel or like you tie your holiday into going out or. Or you go home and you watch tons of TV, whatever it is that you do, you do this good, but it's usually, it it, is quite commonly related to something based around a sonic experience. I think it's very strange. Like, even on the opposite side, if if you're a massive meditator, right, you go and you want to do a Vipassana, like 10 day silent retreat, the absence of sound then becomes its own noise
0: so oh, I've true. done
1: long meditations and it's hard it's, for someone like myself especially it's very fucking hard so just whatever like you can I chat shit for England so it, it, it's yeah it becomes and uh, the focal points become the noises you still hear like the rustling of the curtains or like the trickle of a stream in the distance like suddenly you realize how powerful our hearing actually is so I don't mean there's many experiences that without sound and that's why I've done raves to deaf people that was that was mad like whether you put the subs facing down on the floor and just they feel that they dance to the vibrations Wow. And they can know what tune it is, yeah. Which is which is crazy, right? Even people without any traditional sense of hearing can experience a sonic event.
0: Yeah, I, my friend was telling me about their, one of their close friends who's deaf that listens to music and mm. goes to raves still, and he can tell he does or he does lip reading mixed with feeling the vibrations through the air. And obviously, your senses become a bit more sensitive, don't they? unattuned when you lose one. Well, yeah, well, you I mean, become more focused on it, so your ability to use them is stronger.
1: Maybe some like yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. There's, there's interesting research I've looked into in that area. I'm not, I'm not completely convinced either way myself. But for people who haven't met me or don't don't see a picture of me, I am basically blind as a bat. I was hit by a car when I was two. Like my left eye is basically functionless. Do you know? like? So maybe there's elements of that in there when I've leaned into this kind of thing and i enhanced my hearing by just paying more attention. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, we talked about someone last night is that. Now, oh you've obviously got really good ears it's like no right? Like, i don't believe in golden ears i believe in paying attention and caring it's just it's just time and and more uh, attunement to it almost yeah, is it, sense. yeah. It, and you can actually show that you can imp- massively improve your sense of understanding of like golden ear hearing very very quickly with just some concerted effort we're talking a matter of weeks of of trial or try and error like when they do the immersive sound stuff that you hear on like netflix and stuff or like apple music or whatever now are using a generic mapping of head related transfer functions. So that term basically means that everyone's ears are different. So when you scan them, that you can reproduce the bounce inside your ears that makes you hear uniquely, All right. So is it a fun topic I to bring up a fair bit. People tell me they're not good at maths. I have dyscalculia, which is funny, right? Yeah. I find it very hard to do maths. The numbers move around. It's difficult for me and this relates to something. However, every single one of us who can hear and see is doing a huge amount of differential calculus Thousands of times a second, yeah, the sampling rate of the ear is very, very fast, so your each if you look at someone's ear and you've got the shapes on here, the bounces the echoes of your voice up and here and here arrive late in my ear and and maybe slightly louder on this side and this side tell me where you are in space related to me, even if my eyes closed. yeah everyone's are different. What it means is I could map my ears and put you in headphones and reproduce sound through my ear mapping. And within a matter of twenty-four hours, you would be attuned so that my ears are how you hear. That's wow. how powerful your brain is at doing acoustic integrational yeah. maths, which is mad, right? So it's like, and this is everyone. This is everyone from innately from a child,
0: right? It's well, shown I, I was just about to say that because it's probably the first sense that you have, even when you're in a womb, mm-hmm. you you your ears develop and you can feel vibration. Yeah, whether you're hearing it for your ears or feeling it as a physical sense, because your eyes are shut. Yeah. Your mouth shut, your nose, you can't smell anything. Oh. So really, as a sense, your ears are probably one of the first things that you that you have. And the need to develop that as an, on an evolutionary level, if you're looking historically uh, on the evolution of, of the human, they're really important. And that spatial awareness you're talking about was so important oh. on, in terms of survival. If you were out in the wild and you wanted to know where a threat was coming from, Your ability to locate the direction in which that animal, wild animal, or threat, or earthquakes, avalanche, whatever it is that's about to come and obliterate you it's really important to know where that's coming from. Your eyes are not going to see yeah. it first before your ears are going to see it. Well,
1: and also it's not just purely the sound coming in through the ear holes and bouncing off the sides. It's, it's because your bones are in the in water like you were as a kid. Like it's a yeah. vibrational physical thing as well. You're, you, you get the bone conduction, you know, you can feel like vibration. That's, what, like, that's why the, the death run high pe- That's is why, why deaf people can.
0: Yeah, we obviously. love that
1: vibrational experience. And it's like the whole, because of getting a runner's high becomes addictive. And that's a concern in noise management for us sometimes but yeah I, I do agree i think it's very strange how deep that goes and how we maybe take it for granted and uh, it's interesting to talk to people who have forms of hearing loss whether that's induced from noise or from birth i actually did one of my studies on unilateral hearing loss that's like one side and basically just spatial audio work for them and i found that you could actually simulate it quite well which is actually quite an important like result um yeah. hand- surprising research so you can sort of enhance the experiences because m- it's surprising how many people suffer from that and don't realize one ear is a little bit quieter than the other or they struggle to hear the conversation in a bar but with their left ear so they just maybe find it frustrating and reduce their experience of those of those situations so these things are important to understand and know but like i say it is a universal experience like we all have well, the last majority of us and like blessedly have that ex- feeling and you even if you don't have a fixed hearing health you can usually have some kind of feeling physical sensation attached to it and that, to me, is maybe we're moving direct, direct away from science here, a bit into the woo concept. But I, I think when you really look at the concept of how sound works, you quickly realize that it is a very three-dimensional, maybe four-dimensional even, like, experience. Like, it has time level. It's uh, holographic, maybe more is a silly word to use. It's a very audiophile woo word. But compared to sight, which is very important and we lean into that you see a concerts or whatever big screens big lights it's very easy to sell on instagram and so on however i feel like fundamentally while we exist in a three-dimensional space or I perceive our reality in such vision is a 2d experience it's a series of images that pull a, one are upside down when they enter your brain and we mentally flip them the right way up and it's basically each of these rods receiving color like but we don't perceive time through vision apart from the sequence of the captures that our brain is occurring is now that could be ugly for audio as well but it's if you map out how sound is received by capturing it with like a microphone um which is what i do for part of measurement or what this device is doing in front of me right now we look at it via 2d projections to understand it but it's a three-dimensional thing it moves in a spiral over time And it's like that to me is much more kind of linked to like some of the fundamental physics of the universe. Maybe the way you think about, like when you're talking about now, again, uh, I am not a physicist, although I do work in the field of physics. And maybe maybe there's a difficult part of actually understanding this stuff. But when we look at modern science and how we perceive reality and some of these very interesting topics of going on about like astronomy. And is the universe older than we thought? And are we analyzing it correctly? And all this kind of stuff. They come back to this something that feels much more like the way that sound is documented and perceived. And move on move away from the sense of visual experience and maybe that's me getting old and i'm losing my eyesight i mean god knows <laughs> attached to it maybe you know, there's always some element of yourself you can't remove from these these analyses of stuff but i think it is very interesting a topic to talk about because i'm sure you'll probably agree some of the most transcendental sound experiences you've had have been in the dark like, there might be a lot. We talked about, like, there's a show last night in London where a friend of ours provided the sound and, like, the music that's there is one of my favourite styles of music. Big dubstep event, huge line-up, the heavyweight guys. And the venue looked amazing, like, visually, but it didn't feel like it was right for the experience for me. I probably would have had a sick time. I don't begrudge anyone who did really enjoy it, but to me, it was too intensely bright. It, it's, det- it's distracting from the message of the music. Yeah, which is honest. the
0: fundamental reason why people yeah
1: tickets. however i'm not the kind of person that thinks just one red light bulb in the corner of a dark dingy basement is always the right way forward so less is more maybe but it is a key thing that you can't have no lighting in these experiences but i think it is very very interesting to maybe sit and pay more attention to what you really do here and that's that then that comes back to this meditation thing i bang on about it's been transformative experience in my life doing that but it has been you do it with your eyes closed and it it's more challenging to not throw up images or think about things in a verbal term but like then you start paying attention to the noise around you and
0: yeah i think i think that there's this is quite a relevant topic for me especially within the rave culture and club culture environment is often nowadays mm. promoters organizers will spend more money more time more consideration on the visual elements of mm-hmm. things rather than the sonic one and you end up going to something where, where you're seeing some of your favorite artists and the audio lets you down whether yeah. it be it they're not enough of it it doesn't sound right it's the wrong wrong set of speakers the wrong setup for the application it's just some sometimes a bit of an oversight right yeah. and then you kind of it's a massive issue because fundamentally people are going and the main people what's been advertised it's not we've got amazing I mean, sometimes people advertise an AV visual show, for example, mm-hmm. maybe, but that, that's still got to come with. It's not. An, it's not a visual show. It's an AV. It's mm-hmm. audio visual. Mm-hmm. Audio is the leading aspect there, as well as the fundamental reason. The artist's names. They're not. They're not visual artists. They're yeah. not painters. They're, they're musicians, and yeah, yeah. they're making sound. And well, that is the most important part, and, and it's a big problem within the within the within club culture sometimes, and promoters just really overlook it, and, and you see that even in the, in the. CVS did a a post recently which went somewhat viral about sound systems being considered as headliners for shows Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they work really hard. They provide Mm -hmm. the ability to create that the environment that everyone wants to create that powerful experience more than anything. And it's a combination. I shouldn't say more than anything. That just takes away, that's a disrespect to the artists. The artists also bring the thing or organize the show. It's It's a communal effort, but. It's a very key part.
1: Well, the funny thing with this is it's like it moves into two ways. There's a funny old saying from the industry, which is no one goes home humming the light show. However, if we do our job properly as sound reproduction, concert reproduction, it should be almost invisible. And I think that is its own worst enemy in some ways, because unless it's really bad, people don't notice. And if it is really bad, often people won't remark on it. They won't have as good of a time. Now, it's really interesting to look at when you have a really good audio experience, there's not too loud, but loud enough. It's clear and it's deep. People spend more money at the bar in clubs. They stay longer. They hook up more. let's be honest, There's a lot of people go out for it yeah. and they stay, they, stick, they spend more money and therefore the venue makes more cash, as more fluid. It can, it's a reciprocal thing. They can then invest more in the experience, maybe for, sort what their toilets are or whatever it is and grow. However, the audio experience is sometimes so far down the production list in terms of what's necessary because it's my mate will do it. And that's almost a downside to the access to this gear especially these days and we're in a very small island full with basically sound systems that are pretty okay and if someone wants to do it for peanuts and it's not a sustainable economy and this is a hot topic amongst people like ourselves who do audio reproduction at the moment which is sorry hiccups that the money that's available doesn't reflect the amount of skill and understanding required we had this talk this morning about what and en- what is an engineer and back a day these guys would build their own mix consoles build their own speakers they would be doing engineering they would be doing the maths that's what what i did at derby was an engineering degree before that i didn't feel comfortable calling myself an engineer
0: yeah
1: yeah I maybe have done a bit more than some other people in that in that, in that level, but like I'm very humble by how much I don't know how many real greats there are below me. Like I stand on the shoulders of who've helped me out and they're still willing really to engage my stupid questions. However, I think in the world we have with uh, events, concerts, hospitality, bars, restaurants, these experiences where we are wanting of musical background noise. where Maybe it's not even music. I worked to a company recently. Uh, Really called I can't really give you much information. They're still kind of like not launched their product, but they've got a platform that essentially documents spaces and integrates spaces and in with sonic soundscapes that are particularly nice to people who are sound sensitive. So they'll have like a map of like this cafe doesn't have like reflective surfaces and like plays really loud, annoying music. And it will uh. know they get the, the venue owner gets data about how that works. So they can maybe have a day where they have a quiet day and cater to these people. You know, it's a very interesting concept as a business. Don't want to give too much away because it's their tech, yeah. but it's really interesting to see how that's a thing that's become become around. We have become more aware. But this thing you mentioned here about the being so far down the list, I think mean, that's a good kind of point to jump into with the push for the world, the magic world word in all industries at the moment, which is immersive, which is basically the idea of putting sound back up that roster of importance and having more fine control. Of, and maybe scientifically representing real world experiences or otherworldly experiences more accurately but the fundamental part of it comes from if i can put se- if i need to put out seven times more speakers to cover the same space i'm making that much more money and therefore with competing again with the importance of visuals because shows are promoted by social media these days and most phones don't capture great quality video audio they do capture great video cameras on phones are insane that goes on instagram so that's going to sell your tickets your pictures of those people having fun there's no music attached to those pictures on facebook maybe there's a video on instagram or whatever but did they record audio from the console and map match it to the sonic to the visual experience probably not is it someone's a, is it a, a crowd member's video? Is their phone getting distorted? Because they've, you know what I mean, they don't have a modern device like a iPhones these days, have a game control in them automatically. So videos come out sounding pretty good. But I'm probably listening to them on my phone speaker, which isn't yeah. probably playing the full experience. So it, it doesn't it doesn't relate itself brilliantly to marketing, but I think it is very important. And you will notice anyone who's worked in the audio industry, whether it's or... Pay attention to the common news, MSG Sphere in Vegas, where they've built wow. this massive sound, 17,000 speakers in there, and it's like the most immersive experience in the world. Like, sound could be flown around you, and it's really highly detailed, and it's consistent quality and coverage and sound level. This is where the industry is going to, just to survive, almost, to become important again. And I think it's, notice- it's it's going to take some time, but people are noticing the difference when they have these experiences. It's hard to get right, though. I know people have been to some, some big name acts, big name experiences, and it's not been good. But your cinemas, you've got 7.1 surround sound, right? Like it's the same kind of idea. And it'll be interesting to see how many people pay attention to that and demand it. Like, will it be a thing that really does take off? Now musicians are being offered 10% more money via Apple Music for releasing their music in a spatial audio format. Maybe that's still going to probably benefit the major labels more than the small guy, but it's interesting to see how much he's being pushed. And I'm curious maybe to see some more opinions from people who do make music, who do put on events. If this is a direction they think it's worthwhile going in, is it going to take off? Because it is a lot more investment and time, but it gives us more ability to do that. Can you imagine going to like a night where, or you run a more root style sound, right? So you have one speaker at one end of the room, one at the other that ability to have sound come from different spaces, but when you have like 20 locations and you can make that noise come from over there and so on, is that like, is it a novelty? Has it got sustainability? Is it, you go to a demo for this thing and they play a helicopter go above you and a lion roaring over there and all that. And it's funny because that works because you relate it to a real space does that translate to musical or like creative expression outside of like reproducing a real like a, like a war zone or a whatever film type experience right does it work and i'm still 50 50. the nerd in me loves the tech the ability to try these different things i just don't know if
0: it's sustainable in the longer term that was yeah and that, that's what i wanted to ask you was about technology has obviously been a big impact in the development of Audio reproduction mm-hmm. and speaker manufacture design, et cetera, et cetera. The transfer from analog means into digital means mm-hmm. was a big change for a lot of that that kind of re- developing technologies. And it's like, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on the how the integration of digital tools how does that impact the traditional craftsmanship of sound system production and like what challenges and opportunities do you, do you think that that brings? I
1: think it's it's an interesting thing at the moment because you're seeing a little bit more of a transition from say like the old guard and the as these like famous audio wizards get older that we we probably will come across in the industries of uh, whether it's hi-fi or wherever. is transforming more into they are having to or want to engage more with younger people who are more digitally tool focused now classically this stuff's been done a lot by trial and error and some innate and understanding or documentation on pens and papers and stuff it means it is very very gate kept like you could go to universities and study and you get into it you could become an electronics whiz but it was very hard to do so you'd have to have a certain type of knowledge and then to build it and actually get the feedback loop of trial and error you had to have money space materials you had to be a good carpenter you had to have access to the the partnerships with other people, what we have now is almost a way to quickly iterate through some fundamental ideas and maybe build a few of those to audition and then take those back to the software or simulation or modeling or digital tools and tweak them and refine them, and then come back. So the the process is much sped up. So that has an interesting side effect with new equipment comes into the market more quickly which is great for one way for capitalism. Like the company can sell more product and make more money. However, on the other hand, if they sell the same product for 10 years and it was good enough for 10 years previously, why is it not good enough for 10 years now? I think mean, the difference here is that back then you'd have to have like lots of different cones, lots of different boxes, lots of different materials to try. And it was time consuming. It's also tiring because we only have so much, like say auditory memory. And it's before you, if you're producing loud, you get tired. If I come to work grumpy because my kid was up all night running around or whatever, I'm not going to have the same sonic experience with exactly the same equipment, exactly the same room, at exactly the same temperature as I did the previous day, because it's a subjective experience. So trying to separate these elements out a little bit in the product development or research side is is important. And and I think that then has trickled down to these abilities for as computers become more powerful and the, the basic tools we have, what used to take weeks to do now happens in seconds on a accessible cheap device to the general person so they have the bar has been lowered to make good quality equipment if you're willing to put the time into it however i see a lot loudspeaker design people on like the internet and in social groups who use the digital tools the computer tools and modeling and calculations and then they build that thing or what they think is that thing and they go yeah it's great and they don't do the next step which is then you test that product or that you've built and check it fits your smart your model and the reason why that doesn't happen is there's a a satisfaction right if you've built something your own hands you're going to think it's great that's a fallacy right so it's important to use these tools in the right way however they shouldn't be restrictive it shouldn't be required to do so and I do think there is something to be said for the element of mysticism that's still at play it's part of the fun of this but yeah, I, I think we also need to be mindful of, of keeping that in play and only that one person can ever do those things. Because from a business sense, it's risky. You know, for, the, for if I was the only person with the knowledge of how to do what we do in our business and I get hit by a truck, what's gonna happen? The business is finished, right? Likewise, it's very easy as you get old to become like stuck in your ways and not engage with the communities and so on and not tra- take on board new ideas or tweaks or be inspired by other places, right? It's like things are remixes of others. And I think there's, again, a democratization of that kind of aspect there. I kind of stride the two, but I see some, I mean, I've said to you the other thing last night, there's, it's almost you want to employ or engage with those younger bucks who are going to be you know bright young things because yeah. someday they're going to eat your lunch. So they might as well be mates of yours, right? Yeah, you know? bring them on side, yeah. Yeah, and then it's fun to do that. Like I say, travel and experience different things. So I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think the art of electronics um, is less predictable as well people really don't realize but parts have tolerances they're built by real people from real materials you buy two of the same thing and they won't be exactly the same and that sounds like your resistors your cones everything so when you buy a really high-end hi-fi people see these things like why is that 75 grand for those pair of speakers that's ridiculous what you're paying for is the company to probably sit there and make sure that those two parts of every single one are matched the same yeah that takes hours the micro level yeah micro yeah level, right sorry, yeah. so you're paying for research and people's time and yes some brand awareness and then profiteering but it's not it's not complete crap and i think that if with digital tools you have the ability to do that much more quickly and more accurately and more easily if I can, if I've got to test fifty speakers to find two that match, I can go. I can literally put them, bolt them all in the same frame, and whoop, 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 capture date on all of them and look at it afterwards, rather than having them to listen to every single one.
0: So, like, when you're talking about staying on the, on the topic of that and the growth of it and how it's been affected, and you have talked about the history of sound system and audio reproduction is relatively young one mm-hmm. from from the from the AT and T origins to now, a lot of. Of advancements have taken place in that time in, in essentially what you could say historically is a short space of time, right? Mm-hmm. And where do you see, like, right now, in if you, anyone that's been to like a UK sound system dance when there's no sound restrictions or any other country really of that matter, where they've got good level of audio equipment and and they're allowed to provide a, the level that they which they desire. It's loud. It's very loud. Mm -hmm. Almost to the point of too loud for human hearing now, damaging levels, right?
1: There's an element of responsibility there that I think is a very hot topic in the industry at the moment and is maybe not discussed so much at that point where do you... Ethics. Yeah, is it ethically correct to... And we all love it. And to hold my hands up, in the past, I have been very much a proponent of destructively level sounds. It's very fun and engaging to do, but it is not really ethical. I think, however, I fully believe in not censoring or controlling these things i think it should be communicated it should be a personal choice yeah to do it or not i think people should be educated as to how what their exposure time should be and so on but right. that's the boring way to do it right not many people want to do that like however i think fundamentally having not maybe a restriction but having guidance that we ask to stick to is is only fair
0: if you create a problem you should you have a responsibility to create a solution
1: almost yeah, yeah and i think that is that when you get to a certain point, the Germans have a standard, which is maybe a little bit soft for me. But it's like the numbers there, you can go out and have be out for a long time. It's loud and intense. So like the level of the bass or the kick drum or whatever, the bit that makes you dance is a lot louder peak, but short peaks than the average level. And it makes it not. so you can be out, you can talk to your mates, you can have a good time, but it's still powerful enough to make you physically want to dance. And that's the sweet spot to me i don't really agree these days with people being able to just literally hurt people i think it's unfair like and how, that, that maybe it's very hypocritical of me to say that having done it but like i tell people the time is learn the lessons that we've don't don't you don't you shouldn't be making the same mistakes you're more than welcome to it's an important way of learning but you should understand why that is the case you shouldn't be hurting people whether or not they know and then more people don't know that you're doing it um and it's surprisingly easy to do i, I it, however i don't want to take away from that part of the experience right i don't believe we should once been to a gig world like something where it's super quiet and it's disappointing there's nothing worse than that so yeah sorry it's one of those very important topics in my in at the moment yeah. i think and it's interesting to understand how the people that are banging on about it the most are the ones that have done it before so i can totally understand when someone goes yeah but why should i why should i not be able to do the thing that you did mate like so i hear that message i hear that part of uh, yeah. it.
0: it's a conversation well we learn and evolve and in the words of Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, and the so. thing is, it's easy, it's like, it's fun and it's easy to turn it up loud and
1: make a big noise. And again, when you talk about your messaging, if you haven't felt that you've been heard, then of course that's what you're going to do. But there's also a conversation to be had with you are using someone else's space, right? You're often you're renting a venue, yeah. you're coexisting with people who have to live or work nearby. Like, it, it should be a dialogue. Yeah, but they should sometimes shut up and let's have a party <laughs> it works both ways we are actually very fortunate in the uk to have actually brought in a law called agent of change a lot of people i know in the acoustics and the architectural world really fought hard for this which is now fortunately it's not retrospective and it hasn't kicked in on existing build projects but going forward when they break new ground it's the responsibility of the developer to ensure that ensure that noise leakage from prior existing locations that make music noise or like similar is not felt or heard inside the building whereas
0: previously it would fall on the property with the music source this is something i'm really passionate about and my perspective is could be somewhat of a considered as a inconsiderate and selfish one but let me just explain my perspective on it and it's like we work in this in the field of sound reproduction and for many parts of society especially british society it's, it is deemed as a nuisance mm-hmm. on, a, on a lot of levels, especially for people who don't really care for music. The, the term is actually nuisance noise in the legal documentation, yeah. which I think is unfair. Right, exactly. So it's so in the dialogue, it's in the language used, mm-hmm. and that is that's a highlight of the example of the perspective that people have on on noise mm-hmm. in this country. In my experience, and even from to the point where I'm very, I'm a considerate human being. I like to consider myself a considerate human being, but when it comes to the, the the when you observe especially with festivals is a good example one single human being that's a resident close to the site has the ability and threat on the whole production mm-hmm. and that can be the attendee even to the point with glastonbury an institution which is a cultural institution uh celebration sorry which is almost too sometimes i view it's too big to fail kind of thing yeah. but their biggest, one of their biggest concerns, as someone who's mm-hmm. dealt with noise management a lot on many sites in your career, one person can be a threat to the whole operation and, and the livelihoods of many people. And the, mm-hmm. so, where does that? How? Does, in my head, that doesn't make any sense. That the voice of one can outweigh the voice of of three hundred thousand. Of course. However, on the other hand, I kind of see
1: it in some ways where these rural locations are beautiful and so on. The density of festivals across Europe is, is massively increased. So whereas you could go, so it's only one weekend, but well, it's probably one down the road to the next, been a couple of weeks right. later. So I can kind of see it in that sense. However, I, outside of nimbyism and these kind of senses, I do agree. However, it's the job of acoustic consultancy and management to c- communicate this ahead of time, document it and ensure it's enforced. One of the problems that maybe I think is maybe we less portrayed is how much the stuff is affected by climate and the wind and humidity and so on. And we have a, a temperate climate where in the daytime, it can be quite warm and at night, it gets very cold and and, and damp. Now you combine that with a sense of like, that's when the headline acts on, right? So suddenly the stage is rammed with hot piece people and it causes a refractive issue that basically bends the, the vocal region up into the sky, but then it makes it quieter on the ground. So what do we do? We turn up the vocals. Now Doris, who lives five miles away, is getting this temp like effect of sound doesn't move faster; it doesn't get blown by wind in the air, but it goes up and it takes like the angle of where it comes and the decay time. It like, means it can be very, very audible. I mean, uh, where I live in Manchester, I've I've heard shows from the Trafford Cricket Ground, like Beyonce played there, and I could hear the vocals clear as day five miles away in a city. Wow, uh, those are productions like you say too big to fail. They're probably just paying the fines, right? However, I think it is important to understand that we in the UK particularly have an issue where we have, for better or worse, many of the people that I work with, or you work with, or festival owners and so on, want to maintain this, which is we have a very subjective based regulation. Yeah, There are some like numbers enshrined, but they're very hard to like, they're not like the standards they have across the rest of the world. So there's actually a really interesting World Health Organization study, which my supervisors at Derby contributed onto about noise management and and hearing health and like numbers. And it's very, very different around the world. However, I have the opinion that when you're working to a number, when you have an agreed legal standard, that's good enough for it to be an enjoyable experience for for people attending the show, it's fairer and more honest to then have the efforts put into managing that and maintaining that. And then that's communicated to the residents. And it's like, if they're within this number tough what we don't have here is that if you open your you have a right to it's not technically about noise but like the right to quiet enjoyment um in your home it means that in summertime for example you should be able to have your windows slightly ajar and you should not be able to hear anything outside of your property
0: that goes for traffic noise this is my point yeah it's not. Fe- it's not
1: feasible, or realistic in
0: many circles. It's impossible. It's impossible, yeah. especially within the environments that we live in now, where everything yeah. makes noise and everything's built
1: on top of each other. We're in
0: apartments. Like, there's maybe four hundred right. people in the same fucking ground space. You know? Right. And but different countries have different rules on this, right? And and I think like that right, like you said, right to quiet enjoyment. There is for me, or for, not for me personally. So I shouldn't say for for people who own sound systems or people who want to put on loud parties Mm -hmm. or dances whatever you want to call them that right there is so ingrained into into the people's society like in my opinion right if you live in a really busy city yeah you're going to be surrounded by noise Mm -hmm. you buy into that when you buy a house right but what people what people do there's a certain level of 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 certain types of noises Mm -hmm. that people will accept Right? Well, they don't have and a choice, traffic. And they don't like, have a choice yeah. because it's just given. But because they think, this perception of like, you should that should be the same that should be applied for gatherings. Humans gather and they like to gather, mm-hmm. and that's part of living within a society. You, there should be a level of acceptance, in my opinion, the same as there is for cars, traffic, which is like, that's going to happen. It's some cities, for example, don't go to sleep. If you live mm-hmm. in Tokyo, central Tokyo, you're going to hear noise every second of the day. You're not mm-hmm. going to get a piece of quiet. You don't have a right to quiet enjoyment levels because you're never going to get it. There's, you can't be given a right to that. I
1: well, was saying that Haven't been to Tokyo and stayed in a residential building. Well, got, the, there's the, a sound the, treatment probably. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean you can't hear a damn thing and that's because it's enshrined in the law like the building has to be done in a certain way. Now right. we have very very lax building regulations in the UK particularly yeah. over the last 15 years where they've been de- de- like, de- deconstructed or reduced even further or not maintained. We're not even required to heat homes properly in the UK. It's crazy right now. My friend the mayor she does like she works on energy poverty as a, as a, you know, like an NGO, and it's interesting to hear her talk about this stuff. She's actually recently on BBC Radio in Leeds, and I think this is a really key thing: is that when you consider it from both perspectives, like why is this the case? Because it is a subjective conversation to be had. I think there's a huge element of not many people would actually actively choose to live in a city. You're kind of forced to do so if you want to have any kind of a career or job now or live nearby, maybe suburban or whatever, right? You're not in charge of that noise. You have no control over the traffic and the shops and whatever it is and probably some construction works on new flats nearby you when they start. But the one you do have control of is you can pick up the damn phone and call the council and complain and often There was one of those studies done as part of that WHO organization, uh, sorry, World Health Organization research, which was showed that by simply having a hotline that is publicized to local people ahead of time and is answered by someone who is from the production and feels like they have power, the number of complaints immediately reduces by up to 50%. Not the number of complaints that are actioned, but the number of complaints that are received at all because people feel like they're heard. Now, they did a bit more of a study, which is really interesting, but it's, I think it was accidental to start with. Even when they said they would turn the system down or control it and they, the changes were not made or relayed for like a long period of time, that person did not complain again. They, and when they asked and surveyed, they thought that the level had decreased. I think there's a huge thing to understand here where sound systems, you know, things we talked about before that like music culture and sound system culture and so on is about giving a voice to the voiceless or making people have a message that they feel like it's getting heard or is being conveyed, whether or not it's being received. It goes both sides. It goes yeah. both sides. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it is do these people have this opportunity? Does this person who's griping right. in their little village do they do, they probably used to get to go to their village like what was it a neighbourhood watch and they'd speak? Maybe they're the curtains which are well, I don't know. I don't want to project a, oh. s- a personality onto these people, but they might not have that ability to be heard, whether it's in their relationship or their work life. Yeah, like you live in num- rural nowhere, you maybe you don't. You've got kids and they don't call you anymore. Th- there's probably elements of this like involved Archology in it. it yeah. I mean, also <laughs> vice versa. I've been guilty of it myself when you get sometimes maybe they're just having a bad day, maybe they're just hangry, yeah, and they're like, oh, whatever, and it's gonna going to kick on, off, yeah, try yeah. They really want some peace that day, and it's. And like... again, we're a small location, so we. When you go somewhere like America and they where they the weather festivals, like I've some people, some people I know who work out there, recently were talking to me about like, oh yeah, it's really ridiculous. Because we got this did this show night. Like, someone complained about noise. That never happens. Like yeah, because you have got so much massive outdoor space with no one nearby. But they're even finding now that the people that do live nearby tend to be the ones with money, therefore they have power and influence, right? That's what's interesting and nice. Alongside this is, when you go to these areas that we all want to party in, which are beautiful outdoor locations hey, yeah, that's in cool. the UK, particularly, they're probably someone's land. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who's probably and if that's not the person putting on the party, and even when that is, we, I mean, to use an example, the Secret Garden Party Festival is was really struggling. I actually actually worked on the other side a few times over there as noise management. And it's quite fun actually to wear there go around with the policeman's hat on basically not many
0: people say that
1: no but it's actually because they're going to then talk to people who are running the sound systems i understand how they worked and we were robbing from peter to pay paul was like okay you've got a big headliner coming up i'll let you have your level back for that act because i know that they can turn it down and we negotiate between things and it's like that that understanding is a good way of doing it you still have to reduce the level when the level of weather changes or whatever but that location the site is owned by the local lord basically and even though that's his private land, and it's quite far from the nearest town and village, noise management is a nightmare. Because at the end of the day, the rest of the year, he's got to go and be involved with that local community. Yeah. If you can't go to your supermarket without someone kicking off at you, you're probably gonna stop, you going start listening to them. So I think this is an interesting topic and it, 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 it's, it's going to change in the higher end of production world and it is currently kind of changing with like your people maybe have noticed that things like subwoofers are no longer on the floor so often they're flown because that controls the that you point the sound at people more and it gives you a more even level front to back so you don't kill the people in the front row a little bit boring but maybe a bit more ethical the modern speakers with the spatial audio stuff the immersive type technologies we're applying are designed to beam steer that means basically we use complex maths and more amplifier channels and complex processing to sort of shape the sound and push it where we want it to one camp possibly myself in the past has argued that does that sounds unnatural when it's overdriven when it's done we do it it's used on the main stage at glastonbury and places like that and it doesn't always work perfectly because if you do it too far it sounds bad so we always are fighting what makes sound good yeah. But this is where we are having to go, and I think it's an interesting world of research that we've kind of almost stopped refining the quality of speakers at least at concert reproduction, and we focus much more time and energy and money on controlling where the sound goes and making it predictable and that comes back to I think it's hard to like
0: you know you have to almost actively seek out terrible sound right now, so I think that yeah that is that is a nice way to kind of wrap that that bit up and so as we look into the, the future of audio reproduction, like I was trying to t- touch on earlier, we we kind of went on a really beautiful tangent there. <laughs> Sorry, that's no, no, me. no, it's great. It's really interesting, and the ethics of sounds this was something that I wanted to discuss as well. It's really mm. very relevant, and, and it's a, it's a massive problem that's experienced. So I'm glad we did. We have to discuss that. You mentioned that. I uh, I'm just interested in what you see. Is like I. Like I was talk, trying to highlight, it's okay, it was no. your Coke. <laughs> you, know, you need to wet your whistle, man, come on, you know, uh, you've been talking for long enough, I like just, you get uh, dry mouth talking this nah, much No, nah, no, it's good,
1: well. I'm just uh, about like having that pshhh, come straight down. Yeah, go, a bit <laughs> of ASMR. Yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm just going to take a sip of water as well. Yeah, what I was trying to touch on is what, when I was talking about the volume it, it and, and highlighting that it's almost at a point where it doesn't need to be any louder, right? Mm. We needs spent, to be where people are. That's yeah, the difficult part. Right. So this is what I was trying to say. Is like we spent a lot of time trying to make it louder, trying to make it more efficient, louder, louder, more volume, create that experience, more heavy, stronger experience, stronger experience. Where do you see the future, like in terms of research or development or technology, mm-hmm. where do you see the future of sound installation, sound production, focusing on more? Because at this point, it's not necessarily always on on volume like it it kind of reached a glass ceiling there yeah the point where it doesn't really need to be any louder and
1: this there. is this is where it's really 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 strange and it's a big problem we have in some ways which is fundamental laws of physics are such they are fundamental they really, you you can bend some of them to your liking a little bit but you are never breaking them right you have the iron triangles of wind industry which is you, know, you have it the famous one of those is hoffman it's like you can have a fast cheap and good pick two yeah when you come to doing sound reproduction the downside we have is that it has to be physically large because waves as you get lower in frequency the bass notes that people really engage with are just long they're big and they're long therefore to control those we have to have a large source we have to have a what's basically a big a big baffle with with like a big front pile of gear right when you get it big enough and it's done in the right way it becomes much more directional so it becomes more controlled so we've all been to those experiences where it was almost like intensely sort of transcendental where there's a big pile of rig and even if you're not really pushing all of it as hard the difficult, the thing there is it's actually pointing the sound maybe where the people are but also people do listen a little bit with their eyes right and that goes both ways sadly so when I think we're going to have a lot more discussion and try and maybe we need to move more into education at all levels whether that's smaller sound systems or people going to events or people nearby in rural areas that complain to expect, and not only expect, but demand larger physical systems because it gives you more control. Now, sorry to all the guys driving around in two vans with four scoops in each, but like that's the thing. When you go up against that system or you've heard that rig that's a like link up and it's got a big pile of scoops, even if they're not pushing as much, even if they're pushing the same actual measurable acoustic volume pressure level, the volume of speakers, the physical dimensions of that speaker is meaning it's coming at you more. So it's more physical, it's intense, it's directed at you. It's probably directing less out the back of it into the sides where the neighbours might be if you're smart about where you put it. But then when the problem we have with that is when you try to do those things, so you've all been to concerts where you have big hangs of speakers either side of the stage and maybe lots of subwoofers across the front and have done all sorts of crazy maths and steering and whatever. But the person who's complaining will look at a picture of that that's exactly what happened at Glastonbury. Right. They looked at a picture where the power rating, the power of the, the stage limits were based on a power rating. Yeah. And they happens. just Googled the name of the speaker, found it, saw the power rating on the one box and went, There's twelve of those boxes in that style that's That could never be in the terms of the license. And so now we're having the license under review. These kind of situations are occurring more and more. So I think the thing we're gonna to have to accept is that we need a lot of equipment. We need a lot of speakers. We need to have the tools available to us to do a good job, and we need to justify that. And that's going to come from all sides. Promoters are going to maybe have to pay for the extra gear because we to need to pay for more crew. We're going to need to have to a talk societal level, like about whether and that's like acceptable. To, because if you do see a big pile of rig, you're going to think it's taking the mick, right? Yeah. But it's not necessarily always about that. It's not all we, it, we, I mean, this is the downside. That then the onus is on us as engineers or operators not to try not to use all those toys to the full of their ability yeah like it's kind of like having a ferrari to drive to the shops right kind of feels like a bit of a waste but the goals we're trying to achieve are for the benefit of everyone and i'm not being funny it looks cool right <laughs> so that comes back to these elements of immersive audio and i think that's a key thing is education 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 and we are maybe in a difficult position where there are only probably a few educational establishments that aren't pure maths focused like southampton and salford universities are incredibly influential and like about but they're hard acoustics you've recently developed more of the likes of your dbs the courses at derby and other vocational focused universities maybe more engineering histories or whatever that are more industry-led about getting jobs and about kind of bridging that gap between the operator and the understanding I think that's really where we have to put a lot of time. That's why it's really interesting to see this World Health Organization document come up. It's free, it's online. I, think I, I implore loads of people to read it. It's very plain layman's terms. It's got a huge amount of research done across the whole of the world from very smart people at all levels. And it's the first one I've seen where they talk to the guy in the band, the guy mixing the band, the guy deploying the rig, the promoter and the neighbors and governments and to try and find a middle ground for all those and it's right. the first revision it's got a long way to go but you can't start we can't go go somewhere without starting somewhere and i think it's a really important conversation to have but it is lacking some of the voice in my opinion
0: from the small operator yeah do you think the, the 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 more we move into the future the advancements in in understanding of how sound works in environments mm-hmm. is a, is it is going to be a key factor towards the contribution of of like you said you understanding more that the the bigger the the size of something can create a, a more focused experience which can then eliminate mm-hmm. the issues of of disturbance nuisance etc do you think that it would because obviously technological tech just specifically tech and that is obviously knowledge based that's research in itself but the application of technology yeah. is one thing, yeah. but but all then is the application of knowledge. I see yeah. them as two different things. Do you think that one or the other is going to be more leading? Do you think one or oh, again that there'll be newer technologies? Because I know like material technology maybe potentially has a lot to offer mm-hmm. in terms of improving efficiency in things
1: or deadening the building or deadening whether be the 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 the, what you treat the, with. Yeah, That's yeah.
0: also a good point. I didn't didn't consider there, but it's more like what I'm trying to say is: Do you think it's it leans more towards knowledge of how sound works or knowledge of technology is going to be probably more of a contributing factor towards the, the future of, of, of well, sound? Well,
1: it's actually one without the other because it, you, we have a thing that was a, a term coined off. I can maybe credit this guy, Floyd Tool, who did a lot of D, uh, R&D for the Harman, which is the parent company of like JBL and the likes by my Samsung now. He's based in Canada. And he did a lot of things, research into what, why we perceive sound the way we do and things like that. And it was more around selling hi-fi, but he came up with this term called the circle of confusion. And now that's summarized by in loudspeaker terms, like we make, we listen to music on bad loudspeakers. So that becomes our frame of reference. So when we make music, we want to make bad music. So music that sounds bad, and we master it in bad studios that are badly treated on bad speakers to play back yeah. on bad speakers so if you fix one of these if i suddenly get you the perfect speaker maybe it's well ahead of its time for some people that might have been function one in the late 90s or turbo sound if that was their perfect speaker for it, objectively maybe not the case but subjectively it was at the time much better it exposes flaws in the music so some people with certain types of music some people go well that's a bad speaker so it doesn't make the waves it does you have to kind of fix one and then go around the others because if you then don't make better music better and you don't have better treated spaces for it then there's no demand for the better speaker at home right so you are not going to sell the music so why would you spend the money so it comes in the same kind of circle and that it comes into back what you're asking which is you need we need to kind of make society as a whole have more of a demand for these approaches whether that's an acoustic design of spaces, which is a real hot topic in an architectural worlds right now, like city-based soundscapes, things like putting parks in, in more parks in cities because the trees break up the traffic noise and stuff like that. That is as important as the sound, the way we operate sound systems and the way we work. Because without the demand from society as a whole, and without the regulations to force property developers to use those tools and technologies and engage those uh, you know, good, good friendly architects when developing venues or redeveloping spaces or building new apartment blocks we won't get to do what we do and the, the, without those elements of those places those community experiences those emotional ties to music or parties or maybe a village fate or whatever it is without those we lose the design society to hang out and then that means there's no demand for the demand for the demand and the knowledge to be shared right but also vice versa People who have the knowledge, who have the engineering experience, shouldn't gatekeep it. They shouldn't just be sat in there on forums about sound or like we should be engaging more with society as a whole. We should be talking about it and educating and listening. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, right? We, are, we should be actively listening. And that comes down to whether that's the music, the speaker, or the people that are affected by that
0: representation. Yeah, nice. That's a really good answer to that question. And so like for people who the next generation, for example coming on how how can they contribute to preservation of the rich history of sound systems do you think whilst also embracing the advancements that, that we're talking about in audio technology
1: first things first there is nothing better than putting some speakers in a party on mates like i think reality is that there should be more of this stuff like taught out at, like again youth culture like or uh, youth centers and so on would be a great way to do it it's something i've talked about by a bunch of people But there's nothing stopping you going online and buying whatever you can. You don't need to buy something. The old school way was get your get your granny's old hi-fi or whatever, your mum's old hi-fi, cut hole in your granny's wardrobe, plug it in, make some noise. It's probably going to be horrible, but you and your mates are going to have a top time. Maybe it's a short-lived experience. Maybe someone moves away. Maybe you can't get the people, but you've had a go at it, and it's a great chance to find and build your community. Like back where I live, there's a really amazing thing it's actually ironically four doors down from the unit we first started doing illegal raves from and it's a mill crew they call themselves and they basically have a sound system in a space it's like a they it's, they go there after hours they clean up after themselves they've got with the landlord they're all done by six there's like 50 people that put, put their own money into paying for that space to have it and they have like a great community around it. They go they go parties together, they go football together. Like, it's amazing the community sense that's built around it. It's really inspiring to see that that's in the same building 10, 15 years on from like when we started moving out of that scene. And I think it's really important to highlight that that is the way it's at the young generation, just have a go, whether that's making beats in your house, whether you're playing tunes, whether it's starting a band just just get involved you've got like of pirate studios which is so cheap to use go out there make tunes find other people and and spread around because it, it it's a it's one of those things where music really connects you from farther afield and it's really inspiring to do it's very easy to sit at home and mope and be depressed about the situations we're in however the best music and the best sound systems came out of times of strife and oppression frankly in my opinion so lean into it get involved like Talk about it on TikTok. I don't care where it is, but start spreading your message. It's the same idea.
0: Yeah, nice. I think what what, do you, what are your what sh- your thoughts then really on the the potential future trends to sound system culture and how it's going to continue to shape our sonic experience. I I, I think I would like to see more
1: of it. I think once it becomes a, we're kind of almost at a tipping point where it, it's. It's going to go one way or the other, right? Like you say, we're going to get squashed. Well, the sound system culture, like the, the classic like DIY party ethic is going to get squashed or it's going to go explode because as we move into difficulties in the hospitality industry... And things like that we come across living things are going to move more underground we're going to start seeing that rise of those kind of societies like the ones i've said there, build out with your friends and it's going to be more democratized and it's going to be a voice and a tool for communicating that message that we are unsatisfied maybe or but maybe there is time for change however i think it's very important to not get away from the use of the technology completely I think we're massively blessed that you can Google something now or like search for it and find a forum or some book or whatever. And maybe that brings me back to actually a key point I wanted to make is you can't find everything online. You can't trust everything people say because there is egos and stuff online and people are not the same with their digital personas. Yeah. Get some books out. Your local library probably has some amazing books. And I tell you now, you can find a book from 1935, like one of the classics of like Olsen. It'll be boring, dry maths, but suddenly things, there's drawings in there that might make sense if you're interested. If you're not interested in how it works entirely, fine. Find a nerd who is. They'll probably come to you, but just start playing the tunes, mate. Build it. Like, build it, play it, break it, destroy it, whatever it is. Like, that's part of the fun of this. And I think it's really important to push for that and see more of it. It's, again, it's that community spirit that's important. I think I'm going to, I would like to see more of that. Like, things move offline and back into a physical shared experience i think we were all craving that hugely after covid we saw everything everyone saw the expl- explosion in event industry in like festivals and stuff in 2022 2023 maybe it's not sustainable especially in the current situation but that doesn't mean you can't go put some speakers in your garage and have your mates around for a few beers
0: yeah i think grassroots grassroots gatherings we're gonna see a bigger yeah a bigger boom in those kind of things they're much more accessible much more affordable, and also if you put, I speak to a lot of people that put with sound systems that put on parties with no advertisement. Mm-hmm. I was just speaking to hometown at the weekend. And we did a show with them on Friday, and he they were telling me one of their favourite shows they do is in a on an island of of off Scotland. Oh yeah, yeah. You've got to get on a ferry, and they take some sound mm-hmm. on the ferry, yeah. and they just spread the word around to all their mates and their mates. And it's and it's like mm-hmm. invite only almost, but privately invited, not public, mm-hmm. not publicly um, advertised, and they're some of the best parties because they don't have to put in all the same level of. It's still. It's self-policed people there go there with the right vibe because they're the right yeah. kind of people you're not attracting idiots you're not attracting people who are the wrong energy bringing to the table and everyone leaves safe and they have little to no problems little to no complaints and you know they have a really good time and i think you're going to see a lot more of that. yeah and that's
1: where we started it's funny
0: we, we said we didn't advertise
1: on the internet we
0: didn't do facebook promos it didn't even
1: exist in the mid 2000s when we started we might have made a really crude little flyer and dumped some at a pub or something but it was word of mouth only and we had 300 people it spiraled up to much bigger levels and those were, the, again, the ones that I just have the most funny stories from, like scrapes and things maybe that I can't say on the air. But, but I think while I will never detract from the great experience of going to a mega festival main stage like Glastonbury or somewhere or going to a concert arena or going to a dance with a few thousand people, it isn't really probably sustainable in the near term or the longer term to be paying some of these fees and relying on big headline names like 12 headliners at a show and then not putting the money into production or whatever to, 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 to compensate I think you are, you're right, going to see much more grassroots. I think part people going out and probably need to realize that while it is great seeing the big name DJ or big name, big band that are playing, there are plenty of people, particularly in the DJ world, that can probably play just as good. And they're, they're your local people. So, yeah, support your local sound system.
0: My, well, one of my big arguments to promoters, like what we were talking about earlier, was about the lack of attention to the quality of sound sometimes in productions. And one of my biggest arguments to people or pitches to people in that debate is, and I, what you just said there is like with the grassroots thing is people just want to hear a, a nice re- reproduced sound. And the access to music now is easy. And you can you can get all your favorite DJs' music mm-hmm. now at the touch of a button. But what I always say to people is would you rather listen to an, a, an average DJ that you don't know or, or musician through a really good sound or your favorite DJ through a really crap one? Well, and like most people, most people, the majority of people I've ever asked that question to will go for. The average dj with a great sound yeah, yeah. And that's the argument for sound system and,
1: and for the general public, i would say vote with your feet that's the biggest power we spoke about earlier today right the the main power we have in the current society is to basically vote with your wallets vote with your feet if you're going if the local event does you, you pays all the music you like or has the acts you like doesn't use a venue of good sound stop going and tell them why post on their facebook post on their instagram whatever it is on right Resident advisor wherever you're getting your tickets well same for bands don't play crappy venues like if you are paid to play, don't play it. Just don't engage. If it, if you if you if it's a spot on a tour, it's a dive bar. Probably sounds a bit crap, but it actually fits your vibe and you have a really good party there. Fine, brilliant. But if it's important to you, don't support it. I think we have much more opportunity these days to to vote with your feet more. And yeah. venue owners and so on need to recognise that. Like it, 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 whether it's treat your space or engage your neighbours to get more level. Yeah, it's a boring, difficult part, but it
0: matters. And then the it's good business. It's just good business. So. So, so obviously, you've worked a lot in various different aspects of of noise making noise management, all of these different things d design development consultancy et cetera et cetera. The list goes on for anyone in the in a sound industry, especially in the u k if you're in the sound system game they'll know who you are of you from your work which is your reputation does precede me better and worse (laughs) exactly but for better better or worse for you personally generally people consider you as a somewhat of an oracle without trying to inflate your ego too much but i do i see you as a somewhat of an oracle someone that has spent a lot of time researching immersing themselves as out of the deep inquisition that you talked about earlier and fascination for anything all Mm. things you're someone who's knowledgeable about not just sound many topics and that's because you have an inquisition and generally the most intelligent knowledgeable people in the world have that deep in all i've met in my mm. experiences have that deep inquisition and that want to know about stuff anyway my point is that there's a you have displayed a desire to give back knowledge right and help mm. people and 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 spread that you never you came and helped us even just yesterday prior to this recording you come and helped us Tune our sound system and and spread some knowledge and educate us as best you can in the short space you were given. And you know, I really appreciate that. So mm-hmm. thank you, and I'm very grateful. But I'm sure many others. I know for a fact that many others will message you endlessly. I remember even just being stood next to you yesterday while you were showing me a video on your phone, and you had about five messages come through from probably <laughs> multiple people asking you just random questions about yeah, yeah. sound or problems they'd had. And you're always there to help for the most part, yeah. and to your best of your ability. And, and I think that that passing on of knowledge is really important. And I think when you're when you're trying to move forward within a society, the importance of spreading that knowledge to others and giving people that access is a beautiful thing. And how do you think, like, what are you involved? Sorry, that was my question. What are you involved in now? Mm-hmm. I'm all interested, you've done all that stuff in your past. That's like, and you still do a lot yep. of freelance work. My point is, what, what projects are you engaged in now so people can kind of you can kind of tell people about this current stuff you're into and, and kind of help people aware of that so i mean i've been talking well almost threatening and being dragged kicking
1: and screaming into the world of academia at some point i think it is on the cards like I, I i've held it off for a while but i do have that desire to talk to a few people whether that's going to be like more vocational product, professional kind of trainings or maybe doing some stuff at like whether it's guesting in like actual educational establishments that are already out there, like universities or so on. I do feel a desire to do it, make it more formal. One thing that I do love being available to people in comms, but there has been a big change in the last few years of my life in terms of like trying to find a bit more of a work life balance. I think if I'm honest, there was Shagging books, as my as one of my friends put <laughs> it recently, is, is is maybe a little bit destructive sometimes. And then it leads to like an in industry and then it was in poor habits, like poor sleep and like whatever. Yeah. I think I've definitely found a better balance. I have had to demand a little bit more like space to reply to people in a timely manner, but I do want to formalize it. For me, like as I get older, you no know, spring chicken these days, I've had my fun in a way. I like stepping back a little bit and letting like other people come through. I think it's a big value driven point for me but knowledge sharing is the same and I'd, I, i'm trying to explore would like to invite discussion and exploration of like new ways to do that because i've seen it happen too many times like people have moved into facebook groups i feel like it's a really poor place to dump more knowledge and share information it's fast paced which is great but it's not searchable it's not it's owned by someone else whose context yeah and then forums are the classic but they're quite slow moving and they're quite obtuse and an old school not maybe really engaging i've thought about maybe running like an instagram page i'm not very this is probably one of the first most formal like outwardly speaking things i've done other than maybe guesting on like some like lecture type things and i'm not like the kind of person that wants to do a youtube channel like i will i think it probably maybe be useful i'm not sure about the format so i'm open to discussions on this but like it's something i am exploring i have some vocational like business ideas myself we spoke about one earlier that is a little bit secret right now but it's very much an ethical use of the uh, base of sound system culture to offer opportunities for a better life in maybe a troubled area and that maybe would extend elsewhere it's important because it does this is a message of sound and culture to me that was brought out in me when i was like you know given to me and shared with me when i was younger when i would go into some of these dances and you know came through roots culture and rock and roll and so on it was the experience of like it is giving back right these guys could sit and play the tunes at home among just their mates but they're doing it Public, the, the door is open. Like yeah. um, particularly, it was always f- for my culture. Was free parties. When I say free parties, there's no tickets. When anyone comes, you are self, like say self-regulated, and that was like blues dances back a day as well. Maybe someone paid took a bit of money for the pound for the sound. I'm interested in figuring out some kind of forum where it actually engages the technology and the tools available as well. But society's got to demand it. And that's one of the scary things at the moment. It's like, I don't know if uh, we're maybe too far gone, maybe in this country with the way society is. My messaging is portrayed, people not wanting to talk. I think there's always going to be an opportunity, but I think we may need to see a generational shift before it really becomes the norm. Bigger than it is. I think we're kind of on the cusp of that. I'm actually excited to see what the younger
0: generations do
1: because it's a much more intrinsic part of their life and i think that's exciting
0: yeah and speaking of exciting as we get we're running out of time you've got to go back to manchester what what is the next most exciting thing for you personally as, as a as a member of the, the audio community to, that you're going to work on
1: i have been carefully working on some sound speaker stuff for a while acoustic design after have to do my degree and start my master's it's something i've really wanted to do So that might develop into a product line of various different stages. It's also an educational thing for me to keep that part of my life turning that I find very engaging. It's like quite science and digital tool driven and R&D. So, yeah, that's a really exciting thing. We have been working Neuron is my company is an investor in, or the company I founded is an investor and started another company into film and TV, virtual production stuff. That's a really exciting world to move into like more stuff that we enjoy. So, yeah, there's a lot of... uh, but at the end of the day I still love going out to a party so you probably still see me on a dance floor and the thing is I like doing that more as a punter or like these kind of things where I would pop in and do a little bit of helping hand. Keep one foot in the rave. You can't yeah. forget where you came from with this stuff and I think that's key for me as well was to not disappear too much into back into a lab somewhere. Lose
0: yourself a bit. The origins of what made you excited about the whole thing in the first place. That's
1: it. And like some of the things I've been exploring doing has been like kind of bridging that gap maybe being like a product manager for certain technologies and stuff or a partner like where you go and you're that person that Goes and meets the people with boots on the ground to use the stuff, and then relay that to the manufacturer of it or about what they could make that's better or more suited, and that's all how to apply it better and how to offer software or training that does that. So yeah. I'm trying to find that kind of ground at the moment, but yeah, there's some exciting things on the on, on the cards with neuron as well. I won't spoil the surprise, but it would be be a pretty big sea change for us. So let's we'll watch that space. We're kind of doing a bit of a growth period of adapting to where the market is and where our experience is and our age and stuff. So. And that will be very much focused on giving back
0: as well in some ways like whether that's education or access to equipment and things as well yeah i think that giving back element is something which is becoming more and more predominant as 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 society grows and people in the industry grow. i i've noticed a much more focus on that, that giving back element mm. and i think it's really important and that's that's the the philosophy behind this this podcast is, as it were, is, is giving people an insight you, into knowledge, into lifestyles, into things that they wouldn't usually get. And that's part of the giving back process, giving people a, a window into industry or experiences that other people just haven't been afforded, lack of circumstance or opportunity. Exactly,
1: and that's one thing, as like I say, I, that's where I came from. It's not what I intended to do originally work in sound, but it was a thing that gave me an opportunity and I built friends around it when I was kind of in the mood to a new city, didn't really know anyone, was going through a pretty traumatic time in my life and the sound system experience basically gave me an outlet, both creatively Technologically, most elements of identity for myself, and that's one thing I'm known for saying. There's no such thing as a selfless act. By me doing this, it's it's beneficial for both both parties, right? Yeah. Everyone else who gets some understanding, and for me to like see that in myself and establish myself as a, uh, a person of, of interest and so on. But I think it's very important to to keep these discussions going and have more of them. Um, it's quite funny as well because, yeah. As you can probably tell, I can I, I I do enjoy... Not the sound of my own voice, but like I do enjoy talking about all this stuff and tying it together. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one because I might have even had the girlfriend threaten to listen to it and she famously
0: hates podcasts, so we shall see. Yeah, and I think that passion for me just comes from a passion of what you, you're interested in. I, I've watched you speak about speakers specifically and you're, you can see the passion and you, the passion and you, the excitement that you mm-hmm. get from from learning about that and that world and everything about it, the stories, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just... That's just a testament to your interest in, in that pro- project, and I think we could we could extend this podcast for a number of more hours. To be honest with you, I find conversations with you very interesting and stimulating but sadly we can't always just sit around and just talk forever that we've got places to be and gigs to do
1: unfortunately um, to- toys to build and break
0: that's right so I think we've we've covered a load of great topics and I'm, I'd love to we could definitely continue this conversation in the future maybe a few months to next mm-hmm. year or whatever yeah, yeah. we revisit it and I'd love to have you back on for another episode at some point Kyle. yeah yeah um, I really appreciate your time today.
1: No, likewise. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been fun. It's been a great it's been a great weekend. I was I wasn't quite in, not I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did, but uh, yeah, definitely let loose. It was great to like that show last night to see the difference and like yeah, we hear people. They said, why did we do this, right? At the end of the day, it's like, and that's the thing. It's a little bit of helping hands and like working together, and it's only ten times better, right? So uh, yeah, so it's fun. So thanks for having me down for the weekend. I've, I've had I've had a blast.
0: Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your time and your ability to. uh yeah, I suppose to share that, share your stories and information with uh, with the listeners of the podcast.
1: Well, anyone who's interested, like I said multiple times, you just go out there. Start like that's all it all it takes. Doesn't matter if you break it, or well, it doesn't matter. You're gonna pay, spend a bit of money, but like have a go because it's the way this thing's at, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing stopping anyone getting way beyond where I am in any of this knowledge of stuff yeah. of like whatever I've worked in. It's just have a go at it. Like don't don't. Be, the thing is, it's quite easy to be scared. I think, and that's what this that's what it gets rid of. Like at the end of the day, you might be terrified, but the moment you turn it
0: on it sounds you forget everything else right i think that's a beautiful beautiful thing to wrap this up with and uh, that rule doesn't just apply to the sound system i think that rule applies to all things in life a big thing that prevents people from actualizing their dreams or actualizing something they're passionate about is confidence and self-belief, believing in your ability to do something, and and just having a go, just because knowing that you might not be good at something to begin with, and most people aren't. Everyone's crap at stuff when they start, usually like pretty much everyone. And it, but it's that that ability to consistently persevere and accept that one day you will be good at it because yeah. you just keep trying. And you don't you don't learn from the wins, you learn from the losses. Like that's where your yeah. biggest lessons come. Well,
1: like I grew up listening to punk music, and none of them can play, play their your instruments. Some of the best sets I've ever seen from DJs, like the. the the tune selection is more important than the mix ability. Don't yeah. be afraid
0: to have a go and clang it. That's it. That's, yeah. it. Just, and that's, that's it. That's the message I'd like to leave it on is don't be afraid. Give things a go and see what happens. And that's how you end up in positions that you'd only ever dream of. Yeah, and have people around you that tell you
1: whether it is good or bad and then supportive enough to make you help each other go forward with that. That's the other thing. I think that's what this really, really offers. Like I say, like come back to that sense of community. People around you went, that was great. Oh, I had so much fun. Oh, I was... I've just had a really bad breakup and like, your night saved my ass. That's like that
0: kind of stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, thank you very much, Carl. No worries. Like, Let's get on the road and I'll uh, yeah. see you again soon. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much everyone for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.